morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Tuesday morning, December 19, 843-661-0937. Our number. Good morning, No Shot Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Josh's mom has given me clearance, actually personalized a message to me saying, you have permission to call my son or refer to my son as this, but not that. Right, Josh? I mean, that, she, that's actually she, she, she's true. a bit she's a bit not not sympathetic or respectful of she's a bit she's willing to go along with a couple of nicknames but not a couple of others right josh that's right she she says and she's mom so i give in to mom i mean mom gets to call the shots so when mom says don't call my my baby boy that i get the message loudly and clearly so he's no longer blankety blank josh or blankety blank josh <laughs> he's no shot josh he's accepted that right I mean, yeah, that, that, that's that's fair game, but we can't go to the others, right? <laughs> so some of the more colorful nicknames I've given you, she's um, she strongly discouraged us from calling you that over the airways. Yeah, no yeah. more, no more Josh with a weird last name. Jew hating Josh is fine, but no more Josh with a weird last name. <laughs> <laughs> so um, well, I mean that. I, it runs in the family. Well, I mean, okay, <laughs> I, I get it, and that, that may be why uh, I'm kind of intrigued uh, by it all. Your, your dad, your dad is more understanding of what we try to do here right yes i mean he, he would say hey they're just trying to be entertaining it's not personal it's not i mean they don't believe that about josh stop being so sensitive i don't want to cause any grief in your household therefore i'm going to just refer to you now as no shot josh i mean that that's your official nickname i mean you can change your birth certificate if you'd like i think the rev already has oh yeah i mean yeah. i think it says the rev on i, it I think he it went does. from i mean i think First name Royal? No, it was Dancing Day Baker <laughs> oh. for a long time. I mean, that, <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, right. that's before. I can't. I can't take credit for that nickname. Yeah, you're and you're right. I think I he can't. may have given himself that nickname. I did not. Oh, I did not. Loser. That was well, what a loser <laughs> would do. That. That was early in my career when that was cool. By so the way. So who gave you that? Well, was that ever cool? Uh, well, dancing. Dancing Day Baker. Were you the dancing? I mean, that queen? was in the eighties, man. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, the the morning DJ <laughs> Boogie Woogie Baker. Yeah, the, the, I I was <laughs> don't tempt him. All right, Josh. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I I just started in radio. I was doing the nighttime show, and the morning DJ came up with that. And I guess, you know, it stuck, and I used it for a while. They put together jingles and all that fun stuff. Here, here's how it goes. You ready? So in one of the segments, he says, um, I'm here with Dancing Dave Baker. Kind of spontaneously, I would imagine. Um, they go to the break. Baker puts the mic down and says, hey, keep calling me that. <laughs> no. Keep calling me I, that. I don't think I really cared for it that, that much. That may play well to the clubs. No. <laughs> you know, dancing Dave Baker. It was a short-lived or, thing. So, so he was anyway, a bad mamma jamma. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that's the jam. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a bit of a jam. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Josh doesn't understand how, I mean, Josh has always been aware. I, I refer to him as an old soul, right? Young buck, old soul. The one thing I don't think he clearly understands, Reb, is the unique opportunity he has to sit side by side the reinventing of the American word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. The spoken word. I mean, right. the, thing, the things that Josh, the way words have been pronounced and spelled, and I mean, you, you're, you're having j just the most unique opportunity of a young person you could imagine by sitting beside someone who it's, takes it's, liberties. It's like sitting next to Webster when he was writing the it, dictionary. It kind of is. That's great, Rick. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. With um, your kinisms. Well, I mean, I don't, they're, they're not kinisms. They're I mean, just, it's like, 
it's the spoken word. I mean, it's it's the <laughs> redefining and repronouncing of words that were. I mean, Webster got some things wrong. I mean, he didn't get everything right. And I've kind of like Jefferson of the Bible. I've come behind and done God's work to try and clean up some of the uh, mistakes that the great Daniel Webster made in um in assembling our, our dictionary. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I want to begin by um saying something. I have and Rev knows this. I have been almost ridiculously overbearing in making sure my birthday slides under the door. 60 was a big number for me, and I want to thank so many of you who reached out to me, um, both personally and professionally, to wish me a happy birthday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, my wife kind of sat me down like, you got to stop being like that. I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, it's a little bit like the um, the person not on Facebook that goes out of the way to tell you they're not on Facebook, uh, Joe, Joe Scarborough, mm-hmm. writes a uh, pins an op-ed in the Washington Post, or maybe the New York Times saying, I'm leaving the Republican Party. And people are saying, who asked you if you were leaving the Republican Party? Right. Who cares? Uh, yeah. It's a little bit like Springsteen and De Niro announcing their departure from America. If, if, um, if Trump wins, I mean, you're not an airline. <laughs> we don't need an announced departure. Just leave. I mean, if you just go, you got to think mighty, mighty don't highly let, of yourself. Don't let the door hit you on the butt, yeah. as they say. Uh, and you got to think mighty highly of yourself to believe that there's enough people in America to care. Uh, what you're going to do if a certain guy wins the presidency or not. I think Hunter um, Biden said that, too. He's leaving. Did he? Yeah, I think so. I don't, he may yeah. not be able to. If, uh, <laughs> right. So there's that. He may not have that opportunity. <laughs> I don't think Springsteen and De Niro are in the um, the kind of situation Biden no, finds. That is true. Finds themselves. Well, did, um, did you have a good birthday? I, I mean, you consider birthday. it a success? I really did. I had a great birthday. Um, left here. Went to the gym, got my workout done. You and I did a podcast late yesterday afternoon. Yeah, a good full day. Um, and people were very kind and gracious. And and I want to I want to thank you for that. And I mean that sincerely because I've been one that hey, um, I think Josh walked in the door. Your birthday's next Monday, right? Nope, nope. Don't know anything about a birthday. Not here. Uh, we don't have birthdays around here, Josh. But um, the sixty number, and I told Rev this. Um, I got a bit melancholy Saturday morning. Because both my parents died at 63. And, I mean, that's hitting close to home there. And it was a bit dramatic for me. Uh, Saturday morning, I had an episode. I mean, I'll level with you. The biggest, baddest man you'll ever know. Right, Josh? Right, Josh? That's right. Yeah, the biggest, baddest man you'll ever know. Had a bit of a um, an episode Saturday morning. Well, I wondered, when, when you described it as a melancholy moment, I wondered what you meant. I mean, did you have a, you know, did you have some... Your eyes watered, and you had some tears. Did you sob? Did you just I never sit there? do that, Ram. Well, you know me better I'm, than that. You're, you're yeah. keeping it real here. No, I mean, I'm I, just asking. Yeah, I mean, I'm I curious. Had, I had some black coffee, and I had some jerky, and um, you you know, and I just, drank a sip of that black coffee, and then grabbed a piece of that jerky, and I just some um, tear jerky. I, <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and, and I and I began to yes. um yes, to, to reminisce about just missing my mom and dad. Yeah. I mean, just and my sister. You know, she died at. At 29, unfortunately, and tragically. And I just thought about it. I think I may have told my wife. I mean, I'll let you inside some of our conversation. I think I told her, I said, you know, most parents, most kids, when when they turn 30, your parents are still alive. 40 parents still alive. 50 parents still alive. Um, I'm not saying parents should be alive when their kid turns 60. But it, I don't know, Reb. The, the only thing, and, and you dealing with this, your mom passed away. In July. In July. That there's this last layer of insulation. Yep. And it's always there, and it's unquestionable, it's un- and it's undeniable, and it's 
it's uh, it's it's unconditional would be the better word. The the love of a parent. I mean, I know how I feel about my kids, and my kids have done some dumb things. They never had to doubt that layer of insulation. I'm there. Don't you worry about it. I'm there. No matter what you've done, we will dig through it together. The month will celebrate the victories. We'll suffer the consequences of the bad decisions. But don't you ever believe um, that I'm not there. And I think turning 60 was just a, I don't know, a moment. Because once again, we all, I mean, I've I've studied and tried to understand a lot about our last decade on earth. Because of, uh, you know, going to the gym. I I want to go to the gym on my 60th birthday, you know, and uh, I did. I got a good workout in. But but I'm, I'm always thinking about longevity and wellness and fitness. And you know me, I read a lot about these sorts of things. Um, there are certain things that happen in your last decade of life that are markers. Um, you better be careful here, better be careful there. Nobody knows exactly when I'm mean, going to get hit by a bus today or fall off the stool. And I mean, you know, some crazy things happen, but in the normal routine, routine of living in life, I have entered the last, the decade of which both my parents passed away. I mean, I'm three years away from the age of which both my parents passed away. And that had a, a pretty profound effect or impact on my psyche. Um, am I less healthy today than I was Friday? No, of course I'm not. Uh, I still think and believe and hope I'm going to live a long, long time. But the reality is the two people most important in my existence, I don't exist if not for my mom and dad. Um, late December back in 63. See, it's a song. Josh, they wrote a song about it. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, and uh, and I've always said – the, the, I tell my wife, the best way to remember my birthday is exactly one week from Jesus's birthday. So the two most perfect men, you know, and have ever known <laughs> celebrate, their, celebrate their birthday. Yeah. Very close to one another. Anyway, long story short, thank you. Thank you very, very, very much for all the well wishes, the kind words and the support that you've given. Um, not just me, but me, Josh and Rev, uh, via way. Yeah, my, my melancholy moments now. I mean, since we're since we're laying it out there, I mean, my, my dad was 80, uh, when I lost him and I was, I was 45. So that's been you know, 10 years ago. Um, 11 years ago, um, lost my mom over the summer. As most of the listeners know, um, I'm going through my first Thanksgiving and Christmas. It sucks. It's, it's terrible. It sucks. And, 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 <laughs> and, and in many of the past years, I have gone to Florida to visit my mom between Christmas and new year's. And we take that week off the show. So that kind of has me feeling it's, it's almost a little bit of a, a lost feeling, if that makes any sense. Sure does. And that's that's my melancholy moment that I'm kind of experiencing every day these days. And now, I know it's natural, and uh, but it's it's like you said, it sucks. But but you know as well as I do, with the one advice I can give for anybody out there who's dealing with a certain life situation that brings about some sadness and and discontent, the world ain't waiting. I mean, I've, I've told Rev that the world, it will, I mean, it, you could, you can cry, you can whine, you can complain, you can have a pity party, you can feel sorry for, sorry for yourself. The winter solstice is on the way. Spring is around the corner. Uh, the Daytona 500 is in February. Spring practice is in, in April. I mean, the, the world is not going to wait on you. So in some way or shape or form, we've got to have those moments that I think are very honoring of our parents and the people who came before us and had a big impact on our lives, but you can't dwell. I mean, you just can't, you can't dwell. If you dwell, you begin to feel sorry for yourself. When you feel sorry for yourself, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's, you lose opportunities. So the best thing to do is, um, you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, make the best of today, tomorrow, consider it a blessing. 
And um, and I think if you're of the Christian faith, this season is a season that we celebrate the the virgin birth of a Lord and Savior. And I guess uh, the melancholy moment is probably cathartic or therapeutic in in the weirdest way imaginable. You kind of get that out of your system, and you go on to the promise and hope and anticipation of of the next day. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Good morning. I, I forgot to wish you happy birthday uh, yesterday, but uh, happy post-birthday. And uh, one of the things I discovered about post, I wish I could get back 60, but that ain't happening yet. I don't have a time machine or anything. But uh, the the fact of the matter is you got to be thankful for every year. I never thought I'd live this long, to tell you the truth. And um, the, uh, uh, all I can say is you've been here for 60 years. And you still hear there's something you got to do, something. I guess I won't do what the Lord wants me to do. The only reason I can figure he's had uh, mercy or grace enough to uh, keep me on this planet. But uh, it's a hard thing to lose a parent at any age. And and uh, people say, well, I know how you feel. No, you don't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, unless you, even if you've been there, you don't fully understand, and uh, uh, because it, it, it's unique to uh, each human and each relation to their uh, parents, and uh, I, I lost my uh, my parent at twenty twenty five years old, and uh, that, I can still remember that. I still remember that, and uh, but. Uh, this is a good time to be alive in many ways. It's a wonderful time. And in, in other ways, it, it's a horrible time. It's always been that way. It was the best of times, the worst of times. I think Dickens had it right in that. Uh, but it, uh, I'm glad that uh, you make it this far, and I hope you continue to make it much further because I hate to say this, and I know you'll get the big head, take it the wrong way, but we need more people like you. <laughs> well, unless you're well, on the other side. Not too many of them. Not too many of them. <laughs> <Not too> many. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Michael. Very kind of you. I mean, I, you know, I do feel that um, for whatever reason, God gave me the personality to not take a pass. And at times that leads to confusion and conflict and and confrontation um, I've settled that in my soul. I mean, I really have. And, um, uh, and I guess the peace I find in living and, um, and, and I've told Rev off the air and only, well, other people think of me as my damn business. I mean, it really, and I, and I mean that as emphatically as I've ever meant anything. I, you know, I, I reminisce, I, I think about my parents. I think about my sister. I think about what might've been, what could have been, why this happened to be, why did that happen to me? Why, why did this have to be this way or that way or the other? But the one thing I have settled in my 60 years of being here, is I'm pretty comfortable with who I am. I know I'm flawed. So, see, I have the advantage of some of you. Some of you are arrogant enough to believe that you are a bit, you know, uh, you're a little above the fray. I mean, you know, you're a little better than everybody else. So that puts a lot of pressure. I know I'm no better than anybody else. So I've taken that pressure off of my back. I don't have to deal with it. I'm a regular dude. I like being a regular dude. I've done some pretty irregular things. I've run for office in one. I've served in, in a statewide office. I host a radio show. I get to tell you 
what I think every single morning about whatever's happening in America. But but I am I am very proud and honored to be a regular dude speaking to a bunch of regular dudes. There are a few of out there that think you're exceptional. I know you're not, um, and that's unwanted pressure as far as I'm concerned. But what other people think of me is none of my damn business. And I do believe, Mike, that some of us are called at certain times to have certain voices. I don't take that lightly. Um, I want to get Trump elected. I mean, I want to do everything I can. It's almost like I wish I could make this radio show mobile and we could sit it in Philadelphia or sit it in Arizona or sit it in, in Nevada and let me wake up every morning trying to convince the Seinfeld watcher, Josh, that Trump is the guy, not um, Biden. But it probably won't be Biden. I mean, it probably, I mean, it's looking more and more like it's somebody other than than Joe Biden. I'll explain why on the other side. Take a break. Back in a few moments. Let's play inside baseball for a second. It's, I mean, this isn't, I mean, this isn't top secret strategy. I'm not professing to be some swami or guru or, you know, evil genius. David Axelrod speaks for Barack Obama in the mainstream media. I mean, Obama kind of does this thing behind the, the curtain, in the shadows, off the beaten path. Axelrod would be the, um, I don't know, the mainstream media mouthpiece of what Obama and the Obama movement, you know, the acolytes, the um, the transforming transforming America is um is happening. The New York, uh, excuse me, the Washington Post Sunday, and I didn't read this. We we came in yesterday morning. I was not even aware of that. A little embarrassed um, that that I didn't do any more research Sunday afternoon. But the weather had me freaked out. You know, the the, the stupid nor'easter that um that <laughs> we were in a hurricane in December, but um. But not paying attention to, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I don't read some of the Washington Post, some of the New York Times, some of the Wall Street Journal. But I mean, that's just part of my my habits. It may be in my truck before I walk into the gym. It may be after a workout, sitting in the gym on a pretty day. I'm mean, answering an email, responding to a text. I mean, it's always three or four times a day. I go to the Washington Post website. I go to the New York Times. I go to the Wall Street Journal. I didn't do that Sunday, and I didn't read this 4,000-page story that the Washington Post had about um, Joe Biden. It was really about Jim and, you ready, Sarah, Sarah. Biden. Oh, mm. Okay, somebody told you last week to pay close attention to a lady named um, Sarah Biden. The Washington Post went all the way back, and this is how I know they had this ready to drop when Obama said it's time or when Axelrod spoke for Obama Remember last week when Axelrod said that Obama's number, excuse me, Biden's numbers are in a dark, dark place. I mean, that's that's different um, than saying his his numbers suck. I mean, you know, they're in a dark, dark place. That's insinuating a, a bit of a kind of kind of a permanent narrative. Um, I mean, doom. It, he's in a yeah. There you go. He, <laughs> his, I mean, I, we can't get out of this. I mean, he, there's nothing he can do. I mean, unless unless Biden's, I don't know, campaign slogan is. Um, we're putting the end in inflation. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you come up with to run on to run on that? Um, yeah, uh, r- rising prices ain't as bad as you think. I mean, may- maybe that's the way they get they get elected. But um, but I think when 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 Axelrod said not that Obama's numbers are troubling, he said they are. You know, they're dark. They're in a bad bad way. The Post then drops a story, a four thousand. Word story. I mean, it, it's a it, it's a deeply written, deeply researched. They went all the way back to a lawyer named Dickie Scruggs. Dickie Scruggs 
was one of the famous attorneys from Mississippi who basically argued back in the late 80s and early 90s, really began in the late 80s, that um, the big tobacco companies were misrepresenting some of the health issues, the lethality, how lethal tobacco is, how unhealthy it is, and Medicare. Medicare was taking it on the chin because so many older people were having so many medical complications because of big tobacco. So, So Biden was chairing the Senate Judiciary Committee, and Biden publicly said, I don't want any part of that. I mean, I just, I don't think that's the government's role. You know, people smoke, people smoke, people smoke. Uh, but, but anyway, there had to be some anti, um, I mean, there were some, there was some things the Senate Judiciary Committee had to do to allow the lawsuit to proceed as Dickie Scruggs wanted the lawsuit suit to proceed. I'm not a lawyer. I read the story yesterday. I still don't know that I completely understand it, but there was some, um, procedural things that had to happen if some of these lawsuits were going to make their way. And the Senate Judiciary Committee was a big part of this. So Dickie Scruggs invited Jim, Joe, Sarah, I guess the entire Biden clan down to an Ole Miss football game, flew them on a private jet. Uh, They sat in a box. They went and tailgated at the Grove and all these other sorts of things. Well, Scruggs eventually got in trouble for bribing a federal judge, went to prison. He had about two other partners in his law firm for bribing a judge. So you know that Dickie Scruggs ain't scared of controversy, if you know what I mean, um, went to prison. I mean, spent time in federal prison for bribing a judge. Um, but Scruggs' law firm was intimately involved in, and once again, the relation to government was Medicare reimbursements. And when Dave Baker is a 70-year-old decides to you know, uh, when, when Dave Baker becomes eligible for Medicare, it's not private insurance any longer. It's government-subsidized insurance. And there, there was some sort of arrangement that had to be undone and redone for Scruggs to be eligible to collect about, what, 350 or $400 million in legal fees suing the federal government in the name of Big Tobacco or on behalf of some of the plaintiffs suing Big Tobacco, but basically argued um, against the federal government. The government paid some money. The big tobacco paid a lot of money, but the federal government was on the hook for some percentage. Of, anyway, um, they couldn't get anywhere. Scruggs couldn't get anywhere. Joe Biden publicly said, I'm just not on board with this. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. The way they're trying to make this thing work doesn't make any sense until, until Dickie Scruggs did what any reasonable lawyer would do. He hired the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee's brother and sister-in-law. And they had a they had a consulting firm called Lions Hall, L-I-O-N-S space H-A-L-L, Lions Hall. Um, and in 19, somewhere between 1988 and 1997, they solicited the help of Lions Hall, Jim Biden and Sarah Biden. I think we should say Sarah Biden and Jim and Jim Biden. And they made a lot of payments, 10 grand a month for many, many, many months back in the eighties. I mean, that, that would have been, I think the, the, the Washington post said the equivalent of 32, you know, thousand a month today, but it's in the millions of dollars, but it's at least in the, in the half million or better hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, they never really got their way, but they never, Biden never did exactly what, uh, or couldn't get done in the Senate Judiciary Committee, but he flip-flopped. I mean, he changed his mind. 
And it's very interesting. He changed his mind at about the same time. Dickie Scruggs and his law firm hired Jim and Sarah Biden as their consultants. Um, Biden was not for the deal until Jim and Sarah were getting paid, and then Biden was for the deal. And they've got some paper transactions now, some bank records that show loans and loan repayments, except there's no calculus for the loan. It's all loan repayments. So fast forward to 2018. And in the, in the Washington Post story, it talks about the Chinese energy company, I think it's CEFC, um, gave the Bidens about, I'll say gave, um, they paid, <laughs> I laugh out loud, they paid the <laughs> Bidens somewhere around $4 million. Hunter Biden, on a, on a certain date, I mean, it, it's a date specific, on a certain date, Hunter Biden took 400000 wrote a check to Jim and Sarah Biden for 150000 Sarah and Jim Biden wrote a check to Joe Biden for forty thousand. What's ten percent of four hundred thousand? Forty. I mean, there, there's a trend. Here's the deal: every check is is on the bottom line, where where you basically remind yourself, okay, that was for Libby's tuition. I mean, I do that from time to time. You know, okay, uh, that that's Rev and I have a deal. You know, that that's the money I owed Rev. That's the money I owed Josh. That's the money I had to pay this and pay that and pay the other. That there, every one of those checks. I think there's 18 in, in involved in this period of time, and they all have loan repayments. There's no paper trail of the loan. When Hunter Biden was paid loan repayment, when Hunter Biden paid Jim and Sarah Biden loan repayment, when Sarah and Jim Biden paid Joe Biden loan repayment, but there is no documentation supporting a loan ever having been made. So the Washington Post had an article ready to drop, 4,000 words, went all the way back to the tobacco settlement in the late 80s and early 90s, and when Obama gave the green lights, Obama, I mean, he's running all of this. I mean, he is the puppet master behind the curtain, you know, telling everybody when to do, what to do, and how to do. And in all honesty, with the Biden central figures and the Clintons have kind of taken a pass on all of this, he may be the only one in the room smart enough to do any of this. I mean, the Bidens are just not very bright. I mean, I'm sorry. They're just not. I don't want to be ugly and call somebody dumb. My mom told me better than that. But they're just not very bright people. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, we talked a little bit yesterday. We talked a lot yesterday about what Trump has to deal with. January 6th, COVID, the election of 2020. Um, the majority of the Trump campaign, and I think Drew McKissick has touched on, on this, the majority of the Trump campaign will be the trials. I mean, it will be the, the, the trial. I just think Biden, I mean, Biden's not in the strong enough. I mean, the polling clearly shows that the American public don't like the job he's doing. So, so can the trouble that Trump finds himself in outweigh Biden's non-performance or lack of performance? The Post doesn't think so. Obama's beginning to not think so. And Biden won't make this ultimate decision. I mean, he can be stubborn and he can be, uh, a bit arrogant. I mean, we know that about him uh, for whatever reason. I mean, he's, I, I get stubborn. I mean, a lot of people are stubborn. I think you earn arrogance, and I don't think Joe Biden's ever earned much arrogance. I mean, but anyway, um, the Washington Post story convinces me that they believe the data is irreversible. I mean, there, there's just no way to undo what's been done. Once again, unless your campaign slogan is, let's put the end in inflation. Or, um, you know, rising prices, not as bad as you think. Maybe that's 
<laughs> some of the campaign slogan. Do not believe your eyes. I mean, but but Rev, they've tried their damnedest to march out eggheads and talk about economic indicators. And there are some pretty decent economic indicators. I mean, there really and truly are. You'd have to spin some of the information, but affordability is what most people are living. I mean, they're they're not. I mean, if you went to the average American and said something about you know year to year GDP growth and you know the Fed activists and the quantitative tightening and quantitative easing and and taking liquidity out of the economy, I mean, they're gonna look at you with their eyes glazed over. All they know is affordability. How affordable does a trip to the grocery store feel? How affordable does a vacation to the beach feel? How affordable do football tickets feel? How affordable does a, a Christmas dinner with my family feel? And it's completely and totally upside down. We know that. Everybody knows that. And the Washington Post didn't write a, um, an op-ed. I mean, it was, it was a 4,000-word story. I mean, I'm talking about a deep dig, and it went all the way back to the 80s and 90s, and it brought up names like Dickie Scruggs. I mean, they had that waiting. I mean, that, that was, that, this is kind of like, okay, drop this story when we decide the replacing of Joe Biden is on. And here's the problem they've got. Who do you replace him with? And when? I mean, Harris's polling is worse than Biden's. As bad as Biden's polling is, Harris's is worse than his. Um, some believe that the only person Barack Obama has any loyalty to is Michelle Obama. In the political sphere, I'm not talking about Axelrod or, or you know, some of the others, James Carville. I'm not talking about that. I mean, they, they have transactional world. I've heard that Obama and Newsom aren't really, they don't get along. But he doesn't think Newsom can win. He thinks that Newsom is, the closer you get, the more shallow you perceive him to be. He's charismatic. I mean, he's got the hair swooped back. He's got custom-fit suits. I mean, he looks the part. He looks a bit swashbuckling. But Obama believes... That, um, okay, he looks the part, but there's no there there. Once you really get down to the nitty-gritty of policy and and be, being informed about, I mean, the president has to have a uh, an understanding or, or, or be a bull in a china shop. I mean, Trump's never exhibited a deep understanding of policy and historical analysis of policy, but nobody denies that Trump kind of understands where he wants to take the country. And I think Newsom would be an empty vessel when it comes to that. So I'm arguing that at the the Obama acolytes, the Obama movement, are beginning to strategize when best to replace Joe Biden. They set the table. I mean, the Washington Post, I mean, that, that would be the, um, I mean, that's the Democrat standard bearer. And Bezos had to sign off on this. I mean, that, I, I'm convinced of that. I mean, you don't run that indicting and scathing a story unless the owner, somebody as um, outspoken and controversial as Jeff Bezos, and, you know, Bezos bought the post to basically tear Trump down. I mean, there's some billionaire squabble those two rich guys have with one another. Well, considering it's out of the ordinary for what appears to be their normal mission, right? But, but, it, but it's not just out of the ordinary. It is so well-researched, and it gives credence to serious readers. I'm not talking about Seinfeld watchers. Serious politicos read that article to go, wow. I mean, the Bidens have been a, a bit corrupt since the tobacco buyout. I mean, when Big Tobacco felt that Medicare was being misled about some of the, um, Big Tobacco was misleading the government about some of the dangers of um, of smoking, and Medicare was picking up the bill, hence the taxpayer is picking up the bill. Dickie Scruggs, a, a, an attorney from a famed uh, law firm, 
that went to prison by, you know, bribing a judge in Mississippi. And now we know that the Bidens in the early days when Joe was chair of the Senate Judiciary, that's just, I mean, you don't do that. I mean, you talk about Biden's polling numbers. You talk about he can't get his sea legs, but you don't go all the way back to big tobacco versus Medicare and Joe Biden's role in the Senate Judiciary Committee kind of, and, and him flip-flopping from not being a big fan to being a big fan. And you start talking about checks written back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, that, no, that that's that's Obama and the DNC deciding this guy can't beat Trump. We got to find somebody that can. I mean, that's all this is about. Uh, I think the Democrats have always known that Joe Biden was a dunce and a crook, but he could beat Trump. We can sell this guy as a moderate. I mean, there are enough independent voters that are worried about Trump's demeanor and his antics and his personality. We can sell this guy as a moderate. He's not a moderate, but we can sell him as a moderate. We can sell him as a centrist. We can sell him as an old hand at politics. And some Americans are tired of all the drama and the chaos and the, you know, um, what Trump brings along with him. And, and the polling clearly shows now that people aren't as bothered by Trump's antics when inflation is as it is and the, the, the cognitive decline is as obvious as it is. And the Washington Post run of the story just leads me to believe the replacing of Joe Biden is well underway. Do you think it's a message to Biden? Well, I mean, I don't think Biden's smart enough to get the message. I mean, I think in his state of mind, I mean, I've read things about Biden and, and how, I mean, he, he's, he's mad at his staff and he's mad at his surrogates because they can't convince the American people that he's a good president. I mean, he's real angry. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. I mean, he, I, I want to be, be sensitive, but not. When old people in cognitive decline, I mean, they get very aggressively angry. I mean, you know that. I mean, when, when older people are experiencing cognitive issues or challenged, I mean, they get real angry. Well, I mean, you see his outbursts in, in the middle yes, of speeches. That, that's, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. And I'm told behind closed doors, those are fairly common. In other words, why can't you, do you not know who I am? I mean, I've been in this city forever. I've done good work. I've done God's work. Why can't you convince the American people that I'm a good president? And nobody will say, because you aren't. You're not. But Obama has gotten the Washington Post to agree to write a big scathing essay about the 80s and 90s. Big tobacco. Dickie Scruggs. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, you're always trying to figure out angles and interesting ways to look at certain things. The Republicans are having a contested primary. I mean, you could argue the Democrats are, but now that Kennedy's gotten out running as an independent, I mean, it's not a contested primary. But when you look at some of the Vegas odds or the London odds, you can't gamble on the presidency in America. Trump's a, a better favorite or a bigger favorite to win the GOP nomination than Biden is to win the Democrat nomination. The Washington Post story certainly didn't help. Biden in that Democrat primary that may eventually seek a, a replacement. But the one thing that has been steady is Trump's lead in the GOP primary. In fact, it's about as big today as it has been since the beginning of the primary. Former National Young Republican Chair, GOP National Committee Woman for Maryland, Nicole Ambrose is with us. Ms. Ambrose, good morning. How are you? Thank you so much. What do we make of the ever-growing lead Donald Trump has in the GOP primary. So you're exactly right. It's even been increasing just since November. You know, Trump had been polling in the 50s, and now he's in the 60s. You know, Fox's latest poll had him at 69% lead in the primaries. And I think it all comes down to one key question, and that is when you looked at last summer's polling, 
what was it, right? Trump was winning in every category. You know, who do you think will handle immigration best and, you know, the economy best? He was leading. But it, when, when it came to the question of who do you think can beat Joe Biden, that is where occasionally DeSantis would pop up and he would win that category. And so people were saying, okay, well, if Trump can't do it, maybe DeSantis can't. And all of the legal issues really compounded that, right? Well, now that everyone's seeing national polls where Trump can beat Biden by four points, that question is kind of answered. People are like, okay, well, if our main concern in some categories is addressed here that Trump can win and we know we like his policies, let's go Trump. So I think that's why you're seeing a 10-point-plus increase just in the past month because people's greatest fear is being delayed. And hey, if Trump can win by 4%, that's beyond the margin of error. I've got a theory. I want to get your opinion. You're a bit of an insider. I would be an outsider who has insiders as friends. But it seems I've always wondered where the line of demarcation between never Trump and America first is. And it seems Nikki Haley has become the, I don't know, the poster child of the never Trump movement. I'm not accusing Governor Haley of being a never Trumper, but she's attracted to the audience of those who would rather have somebody, anybody but Trump. I've always okay. felt that's about two, two to one America first over-establishment Republican. You say what to that? I, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And she's completely playing into that hand, not just in public perception, but especially in funding, right? That's where she's getting all of her donations. And if you think back to even that first presidential debate, which the thing that, you know, for the most part, I said, wow, isn't it great to have all these people running and expressing their views and people hearing Republicans and hearing that you can say different things. But she, in that first debate, was really concerning because she gave what I would consider an ad for the Democrat National Committee by repeating lies, proven untruth. In her statement, and so, yes, I'd say she's definitely filling that role. Very well explained. Ms. Ambrose, thank you for your time. Have a great rest of week and Christmas. Great chatting. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Um, Nicole Ambrose, a um, kind of an insider in the Republican Party. I, I do believe that as this plays out, now, once again, this is not a 50-state vote all on the same day election. This is a momentum-building election. You've got Iowa, and then it leads to New Hampshire, and then it leads to Nevada. You've got candidates that will run in Iowa, may not run in New Hampshire, will not run in Nevada, may or may not run in South Carolina. It's a leaving. I mean, we have this debate about the Constitution. Is, is it living and breathing or is it static? Um, the, 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 the presidential primaries are certainly not static events. I mean, they, 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 they breed momentum, and the momentum carries over into, into another state. Um, I think the media is bored with the Republican primary and the media really wants Nikki Haley. They want some alternative to Trump to prop up and, and say, look at what's happening here. All the momentum is behind governor Haley. Um, Sununu's a four term governor in New Hampshire. She got the endorsement. They had a big media blitz. I mean, everybody in New Hampshire that doesn't ascribe to the virtues of America first or supportive. And if you listen to what Sununu says, he says, if every eligible voter will cast a ballot, we'll beat Trump. Now, what he's basically saying is, if Democrats, independent, socialist, communist, um, degregates, if everybody cast a ballot, we'll beat Donald <laughs> Trump in the primary, 
Um, but if Republican voters vote in the New Hampshire primary, Trump wins two to one again. Um, it's just where we are. I mean, I get some don't like it. I understand coalescing around one candidate or another, but I think Trump's na- national polling just makes it inconceivable for someone. And and I think, uh, who was it that said earlier this week or toward the end of last week that if Trump wins Iowa, I mean, he could he could almost demand of the RNC. I mean, he has no authority over the RNC, except he'll be the nominee, you know, and, and by default the head of the party. But there, there's some that believe if Trump wins Iowa, that he just demands, that's the end. You know, let's, um, I mean, that, 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 that's arrogant. I get it. I mean, that's probably a little unfair to the process. I understand it. But it does put a nail in the coffin, ends the primary. You can begin mobilizing to run against Joe Biden or, you know, um, whom else? Uh, Michelle Obama. Uh, something tells me that Barack Obama has an ace up his sleeve. I mean, as, as dumb as I think Biden is, I don't believe that about Obama. You'll never convince me that Barack Obama is not very skillful, unbelievably smart. I mean, not, not just intellectually. Obama is a product of the Chicago political machine. I mean, he's bled and, and you know, sliced and diced with the best of them. Uh, he is an academic. I mean, he is an intellect. There's no question about it. But, but I do believe he has surrounded himself, and maybe that's the beauty of Obama in a dangerous way that Obama has gotten a lot of street savvy politicos and operatives around him. The David Axelrods of the world. Um, I mean, he knows that he can't be that guy. He's got to be above the fray. He's got to do the dignified thing to, uh, pres- preserve his, you know, his, uh, his, his aura of invincibility and, you know, a, a transformational American political figure. But I think Obama, talks to Axelrod, and I don't know this. I mean, I don't know any of this to be true, but I think that Obama talks to Axelrod maybe every day, and they kind of put their heads together. Axelrod is a frequent guest on CNN, and some of the media goes to for opinions on the Democrat side of things. And I think Axelrod probably called somebody in the newsroom at the Washington Post and said, drop the story before Christmas. And they're sitting on a 4,000-word story that basically, I mean, it does. It incriminates Obama. I mean, it incriminates Biden all the way back to the 80s and 90s and big tobacco and the settlement and Senate Judiciary Committees and loan repayments back in the 80s and 90s that continued all the way until, I'll tell you guys, the theory that I think most of us could be comfortable ascribing to is the theory, and we talked a bit about it. I believe that at some point in time, maybe at a Christmas gathering, um, when Obama was president and Biden was vice president, I think Biden got his clan together and said, this is it now. I mean, we're at the end. You better get all you can. I mean, all these loan repayments we've made another <laughs> over the last 30 years, they're coming to an end. I mean, we're going to have to live in the real world. We, we got to go out and get jobs and figure out a way to make our way. We're not going to be able to peddle influence and we're not going to have, you know, connections to powerful people any longer. Uh, when Barack hangs it up in 2016, I'm done. I mean, I, you know, I'm a relic. I'm a dinosaur. There is no future for me. Um, Hillary Clinton, you know, is the heir apparent to uh, the next generation of Democrat political leadership. We got Pete Buttigieg and Gavin Newsom and all these young, charismatic um, and complicated figures. 
but I'm out of here. And I'm telling you, I mean, what, what, what have we earned in peddling influence? 25 million. There may be another 20 million out there, but we better get it. I mean, we better get it and get it good and get it now. And I think they did. I mean, I think they went to work. And then the knock on the door says, Joe, you interested in running for president? Mm, how do I say no to that? I mean, I, I've run twice and didn't make a, you know, a blip on a gnat's butt. I mean, how, how do I not pursue the third time being the potential charm? And I think once, I, I believe that once Joe Biden announced he's running for president and they basically made him a deal, you know, you just stay out of the way. I mean, Trump will do things to damage himself and we'll make sure the media you know, exacerbates or, or, and we know the Democrat voters, apparently they want Bernie Sanders, but we'll take care of that. You know, they did. I mean, they, they did. did. Well, sure they did. And that goes back to what I said. They told Biden, you don't have to do anything. Cause I think Biden is, is probably somewhat aware of his vulnerabilities. I think Biden said, guys, have you listened to me lately? I mean, I, I've got some issues. Um, and they said, we'll take care of that. Don't you? Well, I mean, I don't want to debate. Well, okay, that's fine. You don't have to debate maybe once. I mean, maybe we have to debate one time. Um, anyway, I, I just think the deal was made with his family that when I'm VP, go get all you can because this is it. I mean, this is all we're going to get. And I know we spent about all of it, but maybe the next 20 million in peddling influence we'll save and we'll put something up and we'll, we'll be wiser about our, um, our jobs and occupation and funding. And then the knock on the door, the convincing for him to stay in the basement, stay out of the way, let Trump, I mean, you run it against a, um, a political anomaly, a guy that'll, I mean, Trump will cause more harm to himself than you can, Joe. So you just stay out of harm's way. We'll blame it on COVID. I mean, you're an older guy. I mean, you've got some comorbidities, so just stay out of the way. There's good cover there. I mean, it won't be that weird for you to not be on uh, the campaign trail because nobody's going to be on the campaign trail because of, of COVID. And we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll highlight this. We'll emphasize. We'll amplify the dangers of COVID. I mean, the cathedral will be all in on this. Um, so you mean to tell me? that all I've got to do is stay in the basement. You get me elected. I think we can, Joe. I, I really and truly believe that we can get you elected. Zuckerberg gave us $400 million. We're going to invest that money in Philadelphia, Gwinnett, Fulton County, Maricopa County. I mean, we, we, we're getting real creative in some things um, that, that we believe will help us in heavily Democrat precincts, uh, absentee ballot, ballot harvesting, unsolicited mail-in ballots, drop boxes. You don't have to do any of that. We'll take care of all that. Well, I do have this one problem. What's the problem, Joe? I've told my family. I've told my family, get while the getting's good. And I thought the getting wasn't going to get any better when I was Barack's VP. If I become president, I'm afraid that some brighter lights will shine. Yeah, but Joe, we'll get the media to not pay any attention to that. I mean, there's this laptop with a lot of records on it, but we'll convince Twitter to deamplify that, to censor any narrative. I mean, imagine all the bolts that were turned to get Joe Biden elected. I want you to really stew on that. I mean, it's almost like the most elaborate movie script you could ever imagine. Everything that was done to stop Trump from getting elected, to aid and assist Joe Biden from getting elected, and it worked. I mean, by God, he got elected. I mean, basically stayed in the basement, debated what once, maybe twice, um, and, and the moderators were very sympathetic to Biden and very hostile toward Trump, but Trump did in, in the, um, in the Fox debate with, um, Chris Wallace. I mean, Trump acted like a jerk. I mean, we've all agreed he was 
out of bounds, and that's kind of played in the script they told Joe. Hey, Trump will do things to hurt himself. You just stay out of the way. I mean, you just stay. We're not going to uh, emit carbon in 10 years. Just kind of make that climate change. I mean, just imagine, guys, imagine all the elaborate and extensive measures that the, the cathedral was involved in in getting Joe Biden elected. The one thing they didn't count on was him getting reelected. They never imagined he'd want to run again, but he does. I think she does. I mean, I think Jill does more than more than Joe. And um, and now they've got all these financial issues. Now the Wall Street, excuse me, the Washington Post, who is very friendly to the Biden administration, the Democrats in general, they run a story on Sunday, mind you, above the fold on Sunday. That's a big deal. I mean, that's still a big deal inside the Beltway. Nowhere near as big a deal outside the Beltway. But inside the Beltway, that gives the media basically the green light on, you know, beginning to pound, beginning to pounce, beginning to discuss some of these issues. And I think Obama and Axelrod are kind of the um, the puppet masters that have allowed this problem <laughs> that the Democrats <laughs> are going to eventually have to deal with. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I was, th- I was thinking about it as you were talking about it. And think about all the stuff they did. And this must have been some perfectly orchestrated oiled machine to pull this off. Because really they, I won't, I won't use the word stole, but they orchestrated a presidency. Stole it fair and square. Well, you know, they figured out a way. You know, did he get 81 million votes? But I mean, if you really start thinking about but it, that's I'm, not, crazy. I'm not talking about drinking a beer to tailgate, no, start debating politics. I'm even thinking about the circles in fields that people sat in, you know, separated, not big crowds. You know, you'd have, you know, 50 people at a thing and Trump would have a 10,000 or 20,000 arena filled and they had the circles separated by six feet and then he would do that fake jog up on the stage like, I'm a spry young man, look at me jog. And I'm thinking about the, basically the, the, the act that they put on that got him elected. Who is they? Well, I mean, I mean I you guess, said the act yeah. that they put on. Yeah. Josh, who is they? The act that they put on that got him elected. The elaborate scheme that they devised that got him elected. I mean, there's some genius in that, right? I mean, don't, don't, don't we agree? <laughs> it worked. I mean, politics is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> politics is a zero-sum game by all means necessary. I mean, you win, you win, you lie, you cheat, you steal, but you win. Winners make laws. Winners issue regulations, winners make make policy. So you basically justify. I mean, there's always some self-justification in lying, cheating, and stealing. Well, it's, yeah, it's lying, cheating, and stealing outside of politics, but politics is so squishy. It's never really lying. It's never really cheating. It's never really stealing. It's winning. I mean, it, it's winning. I mean, I, I've got to figure out a way to be in charge of government because my ways are better for humanity. So I'm really doing God's work. And, and for me to be allowed to do God's work, I've got to win. So if winning means fudging a little bit, you know, cutting the corners a little bit. But but when Rev says they devised the most elaborate scheme imaginable and they made it work, who do you perceive they to be, Josh? I preser- uh, presume they to be the establishment. And I know that is kind of this vague, wishy-washy thing, but that's what I think the establishment is. I don't think it's a big group of guys who goes into the basement on some secret island and robes and weird masks. Uh, there probably is a little bit of that going on, but it's more 
you know, no one person knows the name of every single person involved. It's this this culmination of uh, self-interested actors. Okay. I, I think probably... Self-interested actors. The, that's, that's interesting. Democrats, um, Democrat, the cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to your point throughout this morning, your theme, Barack Obama and his his crew. I mean, it's probably a good time to recollect that Biden came. I don't even think he made the threshold to come out of Iowa with enough caucus support to proceed in according to Democrat rules. I don't think they ever released the Iowa results. He came in fifth in New Hampshire and then obviously won South Carolina. The rest is what it is. So just point that out as well when we're talking about how, when, why all of this came to be. Okay, let's go back to your point about the cathedral and and Josh was um what what did you uh, self interested self interested actors. actors okay uh, let's read verbatim you ready uh, this is Curtis Yarvin a brief explanation of the cathedral by Curtis Yarvin um, an oligarchy inherently converges on ideas that justify the use of power now that kind of what we're saying that justify the use of power uh, yeah it's not hundred percent correct but it's kind of sort of accurate. I'll give you an example. I had a consultant tell me one day uh, they were they were consulting in a race in Horry County, a Senate race, a critically important Senate race. And I don't want to go into detail, but it had something to do with Santee Cooper. One guy had a certain opinion of Santee Cooper. The other had another opinion of Santee Cooper. And certain interested actors <laughs> needed needed one to win and not and not the other. And some of the um, some of the ads were very untruthful. I mean, that they were. I mean, that they were just fundamentally dishonest. And I knew who was doing some of that. So we talked one day, and I said, hey, man, some of that stuff you guys are doing in Horry County is just not accurate. And and my buddy said, my friend in politics said, and I'll quote, some of it is. Some of it is. <laughs> you're right. I mean, you're you're right. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we're, we're, we're misplacing some timing. Uh, we're, 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 we're not chronologically accurate. But, but the guy said that. I mean, he said something in 17, he said something in 19, and they were similar to one another. Yeah, but you didn't tell anybody. He didn't say that at the same time. Those are not consecutive sentences. Eh, okay, um, I'll give you that. But we're not pulling the ad. I mean, we're still trying to win. Um, so that would be the interested actors. The cathedral is just a short way of saying journalism plus academia. In other words, the intellectual institutions – at the center of modern society, just as the church was the intellectual institution at the center of medieval society. Um, the Catholic Church is one institution. The cathedral is many institutions, yet the label may be singular. The transformation from many to one literally in the heart, is the heart of the mystery at the heart of um, the modern world. The mystery of the cathedral is that all the modern world's legitimate and prestigious intellectual institutions, even though, and I think this is interesting, Josh, to your point, even though they have no central organizational connection, believe in many ways or behave in many ways as if they are a single organizational structure. Um, the pseudo-structure um, has one clear doctrine or perspective it always agrees with itself. And then they go on to talk about Harvard and Yale and the Times and the Post. The whole structure moves together. It moves as one. 
when the Catholic Church decides something, it decides for all of the Catholic Church. When the cathedral decides something, I mean, it's not Harvard votes one way, Yale votes another way, CNN votes a certain way, the State Department votes another way, the lobbyists at BlackRock and Vanguard vote a certain way. It's almost as if they were the Catholic Church. And when somebody at CNN says something, everybody gets their marching orders and everybody knows exactly what happens next. That is, in essence, the cathedral. And I think the cathedral is what got Joe Biden elected. Rev was talking about the elaborate scheme. You've got to elect. I mean, you, you, you can't just write an elaborate scheme down on a sheet of paper. The argument against the cathedral is there's no way they could pull that off. I mean, that, the, the anti-cathedralists would say, Ken, you're crazy. I mean, there's no way that that many people, that many powerful forces can organize itself in a way that is seamless and flawless and, and creates an end game. That, I mean, synchronized swimming is that, but there's no way that CNN, Yale, the State Department, the Department of Justice, there's no way uh, the, um, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, the Mark and Anita Zuckerberg Foundation, but I mean, there's no way all those organizations can work as if they were one. You know what my argument is? They nearly did in 2020. I mean, they, they really and truly nearly did. And I'll tell you, in the weirdest way imaginable, I'm in all. I mean, I know how hard that is. I mean, I know how hard it is to get three kids and a wife in a car and agree to go where you're going on vacation without there being some, you know, controversy or, or confusion or something going awry or going wrong. So, so let me ask Josh and Rev and any listener out there, do you buy that? I mean, do you buy that you can orchestrate, organize to a point of it being so perfectly seamless that it can influence something as monumental as a presidential? I mean, we're asking ourselves to believe that the Times, the Post, the Wall Street Journal, NBC, ABC, CBS, the State Department, the Department of Justice, Twitter, the FBI, the CIA, the, um, uh, the mainstream media in general, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth. You see what I'm, I mean? We're, 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 we're asking ourselves to believe mm-hmm. that they executed a game plan flawlessly flawlessly and the least most important player in the entire shenanigan was the guy whose name was on the ballot i mean is that i mean can we really believe that i'm asking it seems far-fetched and before 2020 i probably would have said there's no way but i think if you consider all those factors and you look and listen to what they said about you know their boogeyman donald trump you know we cannot let this guy become president. Well, he did. And we can't let him, well, they didn't let him be president. They didn't let him alone. You know, they were, they were on him the entire time, investigations, whatever. And then of course there was no way they were going to let him be reelected. But we're asking ourselves it, to believe. It seems far-fetched. But I mean, it, does. it does. We're, we're asking, we're asking to believe that all of these organizational structures acted in concert and coherent with one another in kind of a hard science way. Josh is to give me the break sign. Let's take a break. Got a call. We'll get to the call on the other side. But stew on that for a second. I mean, hard science and engineering. I mean, that's hard science. I mean, it's going to be the same today, tomorrow, and the next day. If we're building a bridge across a river, somebody may build it optically different. I mean, the aesthetic of the bridge may look fundamentally different, 
but the engineering's the same. I mean, this many beams, this much concrete, this largest span. We're asking ourselves to believe that the cathedral was able to pull off in a hard sciencey kind of way, almost an engineering marvel feat. I mean, it, it, no, no, no disagreement. No, I mean, I went back and read. Rev, you remember this. Josh, you weren't here. I went back and read the Fulton County Election Commission report and minutes when they accepted the Center for, I mean, imagine how perfect all of this had to pull off or be pulled off. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I don't want to get too psychobabbly, but but a lot of the theories behind the cathedral are, it tends to focus, Josh, on some of the, you, you got recessive ideas and you got dominant ideas. And the dominant idea calls for action. I'll give an example. Um, climate change. Um, there are two, res- if it's a problem. I mean, I mean, I believe in climate change. I don't believe in man-made climate change, but I believe in climate change. Um, one requires action, the dominant idea. The other requires inaction. That would be the recessive idea. It's hard to make money doing nothing, right? I mean, if the cathedral is motivated by power, influence, and prosperity, then why would you act upon recessive ideas? I mean, why would you say, uh, in, in other words, if you are a, a cathedralist, and you've got this issue, this debate about climate change, and one side says do nothing. Well, how do I get paid if I don't do anything? How do I gain more power if I don't do anything? I mean, what, what, what is the importance of me and my organization if I just trust God to decide the cycles of the, of the climate? I need to be in the middle of that so it becomes a dominant idea. You almost talk yourself into believing we got to do this. I mean, there's money to be made. There's influence to be had. There's power to exert. That, that is the mindset. That's what Curtis Yarvin argues when he says the cathedral acts as one. It doesn't matter what the science says about climate change. There's a recessive idea, do nothing. I don't gain any power, influence, or prosperity. There's a dominant idea, I got to do something. I got I got to get on, I, I got to go talk to Al Gore or John Kerry, and I got to start some, I mean, I got to name a climate czar. I mean, I got all these, these donors that need to generate revenue, and, and they can't generate any revenue if we trust God. On the climate? I mean, how, how crazy would that be? I mean, we, we've got a chance to assume enormous power and influence by convincing people that we are in charge of the planet. There are things to be done. That is the dominant idea in competition with the recessive idea. And the dominant idea, you ready? It just pays better. It just pays better. Let's go to the phone. Dan in Savannah. Good morning. Happy birthday, Ken. Um, you got me going this morning again. And uh, what I last heard was you talking about uh, bridge building, and I actually have bridge built, uh, built a couple of bridges. But the point was, how do you get this? Is it possible? And and at first I thought, you know, it's pretty damn hard. But then more and more I started thinking, and that that uh, metaphor, you know, to get a bridge built, you got to have a lot of people who have different interests moving in the same direction, and call it a narrative we call it a a a culture safety quality you're dealing with architects engineers steel workers uh, clients railroad you know all the way down the laborers but the job is to get everybody coming in the same direction and when you first talk about a cathedral what i first thought is fox news ran several times all these different network news and if true, blah, 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 if true, then MSN, if true, the CNN, if true, 
Well, they all had the same damn narrative. So, yeah, it's possible because I don't know who's manipulating it. I'm not exactly sure how, but darn well, I believe it's true. And follow the money. You know, it's always about money. So. <laughs> It is. You guys have a good. You guys. Have thank you, and and thank you for the call. Appreciate. It. And the reason that Curtis Yarvin coined the phrase "the cathedral" is because the Catholic Church is one institution. The cathedral are multiple institutions, but they act as one. I mean, they almost move as one. All these modern intellectual institutions that find themselves at the center of our modern society um, are monolithic. I mean, they're, they're monolithic, and, you know, that's a good analogy. I mean, I didn't – what I argued about on bridge building, bridge building is engineering. That's a hard science, right? I mean, you got to have concrete, steel, spans. You can make it look the way you choose to make it look, but the blood and guts of that bridge have to be the blood guts of that bridge. I mean, that's to meet fiscal realities. Physics come into play. You know, load-bearing and weight-supporting and concrete and rebar and, and metal beams and whatnot. You can't do it any other way. But he's right. There has to be a concrete company and a steel provider and a welder and, uh, you know, fitters and and engineers and architects. I mean, all these people come into one, and out of that comes a beautiful bridge across the, the Charleston Harbor, right? Connecting Mount Pleasant and and Charleston. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a spectacle. It's something to behold when you see it. That's kind of a, that's a unique analogy. They built a bridge for Joe Biden to get to the White House. And everybody was in on it. And it was unbelievably elaborate. We saw and heard some of it, but a lot we didn't see and hear. And I go back to that moment in time that I read in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Fulton County minutes of when they accepted some of the Zuckerberg money. And I'm like, okay, I'm beginning to see now how this cathedral works at times in the light of day, at times at the dark of night. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. You know, kids, you were, I was listening to you here before, you know, before my client, and you were saying, you expect, you know, it's sort of like, do you really, do you really expect to believe that all of these forces work together to affect this election? I would call it stolen election. And then you think about it, you say, wow, there's no way that that could, that could happen. And I, I said, I'm just not smart enough to figure, but, you know, but. I do have enough common sense. You know, I may not understand how they did it, but they damn sure did it. That I do. And you remember back in World War II that we um, the, yeah, we got the German code. And a lot of times saw uh, Churchill and they had to decide when they were going to save the lives of these sailors or whomever. You know, by letting them know that there's a wolf pack uh, submarine crew around there that was going to sink them. Because they had to be very careful because they didn't want the Germans to find out that they had cracked the code. Well, last time when they cracked the code and, and sold this election, everybody's kind of saying, wow, I think that election was stolen. A lot of people, like you said, a lot of people think that something odd happened. Here's my question. Are they going to pull a Winston Churchill and lose this election so they don't um, expose the fact that they have they have the code to win in elections? Are they, going to, are they going to go a second time and let us all know for certain 
that they have broken the code about a steal of election. Thank you, Breezer. I thought of that, guys. I really and truly, I've got a great mentor of mine that told me early in my political life, you can't win all the time. If you win all the time, you'll be found out. You got to let others win uh, on rare occasions. And I've said this before. I'm not sure as a Republican, I want to be in charge in the next four years. From 2024 to 2028 could be the, the period of time the debt comes home to roost. I mean, it could be the beginning of the unraveling of our, our, our economic situation. You know, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett talked a little bit about Munger before he died. Talked a little bit about there. There's a number, and I think we're close to it. So, so, so what Breeze is asking is so interesting. Will they take a pass on this one for fear of being too found out? They believe we're sniffing around uh, the right bones. I mean, they, they do. That They believe that we're, okay, I'll smell it now. I mean, I don't know exactly where it is, but I'm getting pretty close. I mean, I'm hot on the trail. So, so okay, let's, um, let's let this one slide. In the long run, over the long haul, in the grand scheme of things, we're better off not winning this one, letting them have their guy. I mean, that, that, that basically invalidates the theory they have about we could steal elections whenever we choose to, because if we steal them whenever we choose to, why wouldn't we choose to do it every time? Let, let the other side have a bone from time to time. Take a break. Back in a few. Normally, Tuesday mornings at 8 o'clock, Dr. Will Bold, History Chair of Francis Marion University, is here. We started talking about the cathedral, and it looked like the door nearly flung off the hinges when he said, there's no way. There's no way I'm putting my reputation on the line with this nonsense called a cathedral. I mean, what in the world is he talking about? And I saw Bolt through the glass, and he was like, holy crap. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get fired right before Christmas, so... So anyway, Dr. Bolt has... He came in here anyway. Well, I mean, yeah. but, but uh, you know, at the last second, I stuck a knife at his tire, and he has no choice <laughs> but to be with us here. So Dr. Will Bolt uh, is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hey, good morning. Good to be here, Congratulations to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, nice uh, nice, nice beatdown. What, what do you make of that? So, I it was a good team, a big game. Uh, final score probably isn't indicative. A couple Bills caught a couple of breaks early on, but took advantage of it. And once they got, they got ahead... They didn't let up. I mean, it was an old-fashioned beatdown. They they, they 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 broke the Cowboys. They looked inspired. They, I mean, they, they looked as if they really had something to play for and seized and seized the moment. J- Josh, gra- grab grab the mic here because I want you to kind of kick us off here. So Rev was talking about the most important people in the cathedral, and I saw Bolt going like, "Yeah, it's kind of interesting." Yeah, uh, once again, and this is, I mean, it, it's not a hard science. I mean, it's not engineering. Whether you, whether you you can't dream a bridge. You got to build a bridge. I mean, literally, figure. I mean, you, you got to yeah. concrete and rebar and steel and support and spans and whatnot. My opinion is that the the leaders of the cathedral, the most important members of the cathedral, would be. I mean, formerly Jack Dorsey at Twitter, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, you know, the the these tech gazillionaires yeah. that have not Gates, only. Bezos. Yeah. yeah, Bezos, not only media platforms, but enormous amounts of money, money. Oh, personal yeah. wealth that they're willing to invest in trying to change the outcome of scenario A or B or C. What What do you say there, Josh? And then I want to get to Dr. Bolt. So I actually kind of uh, reject the premise. I, I agree with Dan where I don't think that uh, it, it's any one person in particular. There definitely are I agree with that, but there fish. are more important people. Okay, bigger fish. Yeah. Who are the bigger fish, Josh? From your, from a twenty some odd year old's perspective, 
I think the bigger fish uh, are certain lesser-known actors in the government, like the ADL. Um, I think that the media has to do with a part of it. But we've seen recently that the the media is kind of getting bullwhipped around with uh, with the Israel-Palestine issue and and certain political topics. Uh, and I, you know, and I feel the same way as both. Obviously, like people like Bezos, people like uh, like you said, Jack Dorsey. But even then, you know, uh, Elon Musk buys Twitter, and uh, the ADL puts out a hit to basically they say, "Hey, all advertisers, he's he's anti-Semitic. Let's let's pull his advertising." Is it, and, so, so stay there now, sure. Rev, Dr. Bolt, sure. is the cathedral executing a hit job on Elon Musk because he won't play ball, because he won't move as one, because he becomes the the outlier in these powerful, wealthy media organizations? To a certain extent, uh, a hit job, meaning they're not trying to completely kill and get rid of him. They're trying they to assimilate him. But they kind of know they can't. I mean, they right. kind of know they can't. Right. It's, you know, he's the richest man on earth, <laughs> and he has to go on an apology tour to who? You and know, he refuses it, to do that. A little bit. He, he but, has done it a little. But most people, you would agree. I mean, Musk does not have a bunch of shareholders to answer to. I mean, he does, but he doesn't. Um, and they've kind of invested in his companies, because he does walk to the beat of his own drum. He is somewhat mm-hmm. of a, uh, a cowboy an and a visionary entrepreneur yeah. and all these. But but so so you buy in, Josh, and I want to go to Dr. Bolt. You buy into the theory of a cathedral. You just don't really agree that we understand with any degree of clarity who pulls the largest strings. I believe in the cathedral. I don't believe in the Pope. Okay. Okay. There, there's an attempted. Um, they're trying to take Elon down. There's no doubt about it. Because you see, it's the the advertisers. It's the attack from the corporate wokeness. Is okay. it Elon or Twitter? Well, it's it's well, it's they're one and the same as far as the, they're concerned. But there's but government they're not trying to take Tesla down. But they are they're government. There's government organizations and oversights and regulations that are now, you know, attacking Twitter. From you know, the EU is attacking Twitter. So yeah, there is a, a I guess a coordinated attack on him. And I say Twitter, I mean X, obviously. Um, Bolt, is this an embarrassing conversation <laughs> for such an esteemed gentleman to be a part of? I, I think the link is uh, this is the exact intellectual thing that Thomas Jefferson would have would have loved, and so there, there's our there's our tie-in. But when I got in my truck at seven fifteen and turned down the radio, I hadn't really thought of the cathedral idea. But then I, I said to this off to the air, right? Uh, two weeks ago, the Bills had a less than ten percent chance of making the playoffs. Now it's above seventy percent. So uh, let's say I've just. Uh, my position is sort of evolving on this, on this, on this idea. It's, it's a fascinating topic to kind of think about. I'm still sort of skeptical. I think it takes a lot to get so so many individuals and people kind of pulling That's together. That's the counter argument. Singing right, singing from the same hymnal. But again, like the proof is in the pudding. You, you kind of look at where we are just to compare to where four years ago. Then it's like, well, well, maybe yeah, I can, I can see how I can, I could be convinced. So what do this. you make of And Josh, jump in. I mean, doctor, but what, what do you make of the Curtis Yarvin's Peter Teals of the world who, I mean, they, they ascribe to this. I mean, Teals and Yarvin, and, and you, you would agree. I mean, you're an academic. They, they are not dummies no, by very, any stretch no, of the gosh, imagination. No, These are unbelievably bright men who ascribe to the notions of there's this, there's this, this glacier adrift. And it has enormous control and influence on yeah. what we say and what we do and, and what we believe and what we abide by, who gets elected. And um, and there are enormous forces at play yeah. that are very closely connected in concert with one another. That's, that That is a far-fetched belief. 
but 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 when you look at some of what happened in the most recent presidential election, right. you kind of scratch your head and say, "Damn, if everybody didn't seem like they were singing off the same sheet of music." Right. If you say, "Well, it individually," but then when you start to connect all those pieces together, that these disparate individuals, you would think, "Well, how are they?" They're actually yes, they're all they're all they're all talking about the same thing. They're funneling their money into the same area, so it's not too much of a, a stretch to kind of get to this point. You know. Will you ever be able to prove it? Uh, probably no. But again, it's it's a it's a good t- it's a good talking point. It's, it raises your eyebrows. Something that probably wasn't on a lot of our radars uh, but, until you brought it up. But you would <laughs> agree that Jefferson was a political theorist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean this is political, political theorizing. Theorist. I mean, sure. you know, nobody knows for sure <laughs> exactly what happened, who's responsible, how coordinated, how consolidated, how coercive it was. But but I think you know Thomas Jefferson, to your point, would have been very interested. I mean, he would have been the one that brought this debate to the floor if this, um, if Jefferson yeah. were a member of Congress today with the same skill set, acumen, and demeanor, he would be the guy that says, hey, let me tell you what I believe. And everybody else would go, whoa, 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 Thomas. I mean, that's a little far-fetched. Now, and Jefferson probably would be a little concerned, though. The unelected individuals, all of this wealth, all this power, uh, he'd probably consider this as a threat to democracy. Perhaps what if they use it uh, for more sinister purposes? Jefferson would say, hey, we need to check on this. We need to we need to look into this for sure. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim in Sumter listening to WDXY. Good morning. You are on with Dr. Bolt. Uh, good morning to the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker. Uh, good morning, Dr. Bolt. <laughs> good, good. Um, I got to get a nickname, but yeah, good to be here. Uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that up, gentlemen. Um, so... I don't know if you guys caught it, but the other day, uh, Elon Musk allowed Alex Jones back on Twitter. Did y'all hear about that? I did. Yep. Yeah. So I listened to the entire conversation, and uh, they had a Twitter space where they had an open discussion. Um, Alex Jones, Elon Musk, even Andrew Tate, Matt Gates was there, Vivek Ramaswamy, and if you listen to the entire two and a half hours, the takeaway is this. There were the pro-humanists and then what they would like to call the death cult, the globalist, the, the cathedral, whatever you want to refer to it as. And I think, I think that the, the commonality of this is a movement that was born in the 1930s called technocracy. And technocracy seek to impl- – to place a world government of unelected bureaucrats to rule the world through the scientific method. And in order to pull it off, strict perception management protocols would be necessary, which means control of people's minds. Joseph Stalin said, we would not let our enemies have idea guns. Why should we let them have ideas? Because ideas are more powerful than guns. And that is why they are so threatened by what Elon has done. Up to this point, they've had a stranglehold over social media. Now, of course, Operation Mockingbird aside, there's a CIA agent in every single news agency of the legacy media. So that stranglehold has been in place for a very long time. But this social media... I can remember a time in the 1990s when I was a freshman in high school 
and it was the world wild west uh, where you could get on there and say just about anything. And we've seen that cranking down, that ratcheting down of censorship. Elon's biggest threat is that he is literally opening the floodgates to people to have conversations like the Hunter Biden laptop, um, which would have changed the last election. So in my personal opinion, the greatest threat that they see from people like Donald Trump, from people like Elon Musk, is that if they cannot shift the mindset, mind control the masses through their perception management, their propaganda, they lose control. They lose power. That's interesting. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Here's what I'll say. This is kind of a random observation, and I am nowhere near qualified, but I'll do it anyway. I mean, it's never stopped me before. (laughs) I believe that one of the truest markers of intelligence is to debate conspiracy theories. I mean, I I really believe that. Two things that I think are almost uh, symptoms of someone being smarter than average. Now, to what degree? I mean, we know Jefferson would have been much smarter than average. We know that Elon Musk is much smarter than average. Um, You know, I question whether I'm a little bit less than average or a little bit more than than average. But but the one thing that that I've noticed in my travails and conversations with people uh, around politics and business, sarcasm, people that are incredibly sarcastic are normally smarter than normal. And engaging in conspiracy theory conversations, I have found, kind of alludes to a degree of intelligence. In other words, you're a little bit nervous about going down this road, Josh. And so, so I'm, I'm talk, we're beginning to talk politics. Me and somebody that graduated first in their class at Stanford. And all of a sudden, they, they kind of liberate you by saying, hey, man, I, I believe more of that than you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of the green light, Dr. Bolt. You know what I mean? It, 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 and I do believe that, that historically, and I think there's something happening in America today. I think historically, the conspiracy theories have been for the nuts. And the quacks oh, yes. and the goofballs and, the, and, and you know, their way. And all of a sudden, Teal and Yarvin and Musk and some of these other really, really intelligent, highly intelligent people say, I kind of believe more of that than you do. Well, what do you make? Is that is that a fair assessment? And what do you make of no, it? I, I think historically, if you kind of look at the, in the 90s, or the, the old JFK movie, right, sort of, uh, you know, give it a little credence. But then it was kind of like that, just that, that weird uncle, you know, don't, don't get caught in a corner at Christmas time talking to him it has increased exponentially just in the past wow. decade and i don't know if it's if it's a product probably of trumpism kind of post 2016 something good for your business for sure maybe you know but no lots and lots of people now are sort of dabbling in this and whereas again 10 15 years ago everybody would have been myself very very dismissive i get out of here i ain't going down that road with but you. you're not dismissive at all i mean no, you're, you're can, an you can't man. be right you've got to, you you got to at least listen to it and so oftentimes you're saying, you're, you're, you kind of find yourself nodding, nodding along. So <laughs> and then you look to see who sees you nodding. Well, then that, and that's when you make sure you, you check the stuff out on somebody else's computer rather than your, <laughs> your own. Yeah. But, but I, but I do believe that conspiracy theories have become, I mean, nobody can accuse Peter Thiel of being a moron. Right. I mean, you can't accuse Curtis he's, Jarvin. He's got, or, he's got street credit, right? When, I mean, in an intellect bingo. like I mean, that, you know, these engage, are highly intelligent You've got to take it men. seriously. Yeah. Yes. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Got a call. We'll be, uh, do we have a call? Okay, we'll get back to that caller as soon as we're back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. We're going to 
we're going to start a course at Francis Marion University called <laughs> Conspiracy Theories 101, and um, and then Bold and I will be joint uh, joint professors. I, I'll run that by the board. Got a couple of board members at FMU. Uh, I doubt very seriously that flies. Uh, do we have a call? Uh, we do. Let's go to the phone. Verd, Marlboro County. Good morning, Verd. Good morning, Ken. Getting out late this morning. Had a sick wife all night, but uh, wanted uh, what I wanted to do this morning is remind everybody. I uh, got a very important election in Dillon County today. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, crime statistics in the state showed that Dillon County has the highest crime rate in nearly every category uh, that they measured it by. I think Marble County is shortly behind them uh, in fourth, but. Uh, I uh, want to encourage everybody to get out and vote for Republican uh, Garrett Bird. I think they need a new direction, and I think the people in Dillon County definitely need a, need a new direction in law enforcement. Uh, putting, this, putting the same people in charge again is uh, not the best answer for a, a safe community in Dillon County. And, of course, Marble County was shortly behind them, I think, in fourth. And you know, what goes on in Dillon since they're our sister county at I'm sure it spills over into Marlboro County, but Garrett Bird had an impeccable career uh, uh, with the Hot Cyclone Highway Patrol, and I think he will give a new direction and uh, make Dillon County a safer place to live for uh, the Dillon County residents and the Marlboro County residents. Bird, how many people will vote today? I mean, if you had to estimate, I mean, you're pretty good at that. Uh, they voted, I think, somewhere less than seven, eight hundred. Well, maybe less than seven, eight hundred on the early voting and the absentee voting. So uh, I, I don't know. I, w- I would hope they would vote. I guess the point I'm yeah. trying to make is turnout is very critical in an election like this. Tur- turnout is very critical, but me and you both know, Ken, that uh, when you have a heavy turnout on early voting uh, uh, before we change the election integrity bill, uh, it paid a bad omen for Ken Ard and for Bird Odom. But since the election integrity bill, the numbers have gone way down. Uh, Dillon County is right in there with them, you know. If there was a high turnout of, say, a 1,000 or better absentee votes and, and, and early voting, I would say the Democrats are at it again. But I think all the ballot harvesters are pretty much out of the business. They're scared. So um, we're on the same playing field now, Kim, with the Democrats. You know, they can't do those ballot harvesting. They can't do the 1,000. Marlboro County, you know, I think I've told you before, we had 4,500 absentee ballots for the Democrat in 2020 and in 2022 with the new election integrity bill that Governor McMaster signed in about a month before the primary. The, the absentee ballots went down to 412 for the Democrat. And, and you know, from history a year ago, you know, we came close to uh, putting Republicans in the Dillon County uh, District 55 and in District 54. And, uh, you know, things are going to be different in, uh, in 2024. You know, we're going to pick up one of those seats, uh, probably 54. I think it's high on the list of the state as a seat that we'll flip in 2024. Good deal. And you're asking people to go vote for who and, and where? Yep. I want to make sure we, yep. with clarity, explain yeah. that. Garrett Baird, the Republican running for uh, sheriff in Dillon County, and like I said, he was with the Highway Patrolman uh, 25 plus years, I think. He's respected by law enforcement officers all over the state and also the judicial system. And I think he'll uh, he'll uh, take Dillon County uh, Sheriff's Department in a direction that will make it safer for the Dillon County residents and for Marlboro County residents. Good deal. Thank you, Bird. Appreciate the update. And I encourage Republicans to go vote for the Republican candidate in Dillon County running for for Sheriff. 843-661-0937 is our number. Dr. Will Bolt is still with us. Um, he didn't bolt out, uh, pun intended, during the uh, during the last segment. But but you and I had a kind of a, a, a casual conversation off the air. You do believe, as I do, that some of the conspiracy theories that were for the fringes yeah. back in the day have become more accepted 
in the mainstream. Here's my question yeah. of all four of us. Have the conspiracy theories become more mainstream because the provocateurs have become uh, the Elon Musk of the world, the Peter yeah. Teals of the world? Yeah. The You see where I'm headed? Yeah, I know, I mean, it's, it's not the hayseeds and hillbillies, exactly. but rather some of the highly educated um, entrepreneurs yes. of America. Right, when some of the people that we look up to sort of engage in this, or that's, there's a there's an attraction to follow it as well. And lots of colleges across this country have a course on conspiracies, and they typically tend to draw well. I mean, there is a there is a market for these types of courses out there. Students, the students are, are curious, and so people at least want to maybe dabble and maybe hear what maybe somebody who they may think who might be outside of the box, but at least want to engage in this individual, it's good for debate, and I, I think this is what the, the Jefferson and the founding fathers wanted. That you you may disagree with this, but at least let's have a civil conversation over it. And again, maybe somebody's mind will be changed or swayed, or maybe somebody's just going to be so dug in. But no, I think it's it's a good, healthy, it's a good part of our democracy. Josh, you would be a conspiracy theorist. I mean, you would embrace that, sure. And 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 why? I mean, when did is is it something that was instilled upon you, or is it naturally? kind of the way you think through things. Do you naturally go? I mean, I'll tell you the way I do it. I naturally believe the most unbelievable. I mean, I think that's the contrarian spirit in me. I mean, I think I want to believe the unbelievable. I don't want to believe that A and then B and then C and then D. I want to believe somebody stacked that deck. I mean, somebody did something. You know that's not the way it was supposed to be. So, so if you offer me a third of a chance to believe in a conspiracy theory, I'll take you up on it. That's in my DNA. I mean, that's the way I'm hardwired. Do you believe that's the way you're hardwired, Josh? Uh, a little bit. I, I get the point you're getting at. But I would I would categorize myself as a conspiracy theorist in the sense that is, is the government being 100% transparent about everything? I think it's fair to say probably not. And to what extent that is, you know, is was 9-11 an inside job? Was the moon landing fake? I don't know. I, I you know, I have my opinions. But... Uh, I think it's it's perfectly fair to question the government, especially when we know they've lied before and admitted to it. But when does it become an insult to a conspiracy theory? I mean, we know the world isn't flat, right? Right. I mean, Josh hesitated longer than <laughs> no, I, no, no, I no, thought I, he would. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Dr. Bolt, here's the point I'm trying to make. So we, to me, there are legitimate conspiracy theories. We're yeah. talking about a cathedral. I think that is a very legitimate conspiracy theory to so. debate the world is flat is not i mean i think there's enough evidence now there's to science. show yeah right. there's science and physics and the law of gravity and all these others or a divine creator i mean the, the world ain't flat folks um there's actually pictures from space but, but yeah you know we think there is yeah but i mean right you really believe men have been in space i mean you, you see where i'm headed yes. i mean it, when does when does slope. the consummate conspiracy right. theorist the person like me who tends to believe everything is a conspiracy theory. When, when do we diminish the, the value yeah. of, of legitimate no, I, conspiracy right, theories? I, I, I think it is a slippery slope. And then, of course, suddenly you're arguing just for the sake of, of arguing. You're not going to accept anything. You are the quintessential iconoclast. And so nothing is is good enough for you. But no, I think it's a it's – it's if, if you'd have told me 15, 20 years ago we're going to be having a serious debate over conspiracy theories – get out of here there's no but no there is there is certainly there is there is an appetite and i'm sort of reminded of there's a there's a story about abraham lincoln when he started to talk about doing something about slavery and a religious minister said he's he's got one step towards the holy land he's not there yet 
but he's moving. And I think myself and lots of other individuals who would have dismissed you as a, as a, as a quack, you know, 10 years ago, and I was like, eh, all right, you know, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, kind of shifted. I, maybe it's a glacial pace, but I can at least kind of nod my head and say, yeah, 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 all right, maybe, maybe. You got me there. They keep so. coming true. So yeah, it, it's, you're right. Yeah. It's tough to do. Well, I mean, it gets to the T-shirt I saw at Pauly's yeah. Island. I needed new conspiracy theory T-shirt. <laughs> All of the others came true. You know, and right. um, I mean, it was a, most in a recent example is it was a conspiracy theory that that uh, COVID nineteen, all right, came out of a lab in Wuhan. Yeah, yeah, that was a conspiracy Until theory. Until John Stewart validated that. You know, John Stewart on one of the late night shows said. And that's, but I mean, we'll play that. I mean, that, that is very interesting. You're right. I mean, yeah. we were not allowed to say COVID mm-hmm. Those was just the crazies. Right yeah. 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 Those are yeah. the nuts and the crazies. Um, it just seems to me in America today, pay closer attention to the nuts and crazies. Sure. They seem to be right more than they're, <laughs> than they're wrong. And I include myself in that nuts and crazies <laughs> category. Take a break. Back in a few moments. Thanks, guys. And I'll tell you, I'm gullible for conspiracy theories. The only conspiracy theory that I don't hear and don't give any credence to is when the evangelical preachers on late night television say, God's going to destroy the world, but he wants you to send me a thousand dollars before he does. See, I don't buy into that, <laughs> into that conspiracy theory. Dr. Will Bolt is here again, putting his career on the line, uh, talking about conspiracy theories, but I think he's made a valid point. Um, we're to believe that Lee RV Oswald acted alone, right? I mean, if you didn't believe that you're out of the mainstream, Bold action rifle, moving vehicle, perfect shot. Magic bullet. Yeah, magic <laughs> bullet. Okay. Um, now I think we find a certain comfort yeah, in questioning. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to believe. Uh, well, I mean, I'll go on the record. I don't think Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I don't know who did the other work, but I don't believe for a second. Bold action rifle, window, a moving, moving car. car. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But for a long time, the yeah. government said it, so you didn't have any choice but to believe it. And maybe that's... The liberation perspective, social media, and the decentralization of news has given us Dr. Bolt. Well, no, no, 20, 30 years ago, that guy who starts talking about the, the grassy knoll, if you're with him at a party, you're looking for an exit strategy. <laughs> you're, you're smiling, you're nodding, hoping somebody else comes up. Now it's like, all right, yeah, let, let, let's, let's, let's hash this out. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, right. I, I, I can see. I'm not going dis- to be as dismissive of that argument as I would have been a long time ago. That's interesting. Let's go to the phone. John, in Florence, you are on with Dr. Bolt. Uh, Dr. Bolt, I'm glad you're still there. Good morning, uh, sir. And uh, thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for letting us talk to you. <laughs> um, Samuel, uh, Sam Adams, sort of a big figure in the Boston Tea Party, which um, oh, yeah. I believe Saturday was 250 years the ago. anniversary, yeah. And you don't hear much of that. It's, I remember back during the bicentennial, you used to have, I forget what station it was, but it, you'd have a bicentennial moment brought to you by. <laughs> I mean, but you don't see that now. I mean, it's in 1826, uh, it'll be the 200th yep. anniversary on July the 4th of the death of John Adams and yeah. Thomas Jefferson. But anyway, they were saying um, about the Boston Tea Party, is, I was saying that wasn't, um, one guy was talking about, Smithsonian that it wasn't because of high taxes. I mean, it was England subsidized the tea, right. and but they said we'll still tax it, and that was the problem. And then they wanted to unload the ship that they wanted to take the tea back, but the guy that owned the ship, forget his name, but he said he talked to the people in um, Boston, about seven thousand people, said, "Listen, they're going to take my business." They said, "If I don't, if 
if I send those ships back without the, with the tea, um, I'm going to lose my business. I could lose my life. Yeah. And uh, so they came up with a plan to help him send the ships back with no tea. <laughs> so, but anyway, that's something I wanted to say. But and I got so much I'd like to talk to Ken. Is like I mentioned one time before the closed primary system. And uh, one thing about John McCain, I think he would have been a better president than um, George Bush. Not that everything. I mean, everybody judges him from um, when he put thumbs down to Obama, Obamacare. But you got to realize he was brain damaged and acting like a Democrat then. So anyway, but Dr. Bowen, I'd love to hear your um, take on the Boston Tea Party. No, Thank it, you, sir. Appreciate the call. Dr. A very important seminal event. And I think you forget the, 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 the Tea Act was actually it, it lowered the overall taxes on tea. So the British were trying to put the colonists on the horns of a dilemma. Everybody drank tea. Uh, you didn't have refrigeration, you didn't have milk, so the only way to get your water without it killing you, you either had to boil it, turn it into coffee or tea, or distill it. That's why we're a nation of drunkards, kind of early on as well. But by lowering the tax on tea, which so many colonists consumed, the British were saying, now, we know you like your tea, so here you go. And if you purchase it, you're going to be admitting that we have the right to tax you. And so the colonists didn't want to—they realized it was, it was a bait-and-switch, it was a trap— and so this is why they revolted. And you sort of like to kind of go down the theme of the conspiracy theories. Every old man in Boston in the 1820s, the 1830s, had his grandson on his knee and said, oh, yeah, kid, yep, I was at the Boston Tea Party. You know, there are only 30, 40 guys who did it. You know, 50,000 guys in Boston over the years all claimed that they were a part of it. But again, that tells you just how important of an event it was that even if you didn't have enough courage, if you got sick, or if you didn't, if you weren't invited to that party, you claimed you were there later on. So when and who coined the phrase, maybe this is unfair, the Boston Tea Party? That's, that's, a, that's a good question. It's, it's, it there were other revolts as well, sort of similar, not, not at the same level. there were. But there were other, there was opposition widespread in each of the colonies. And it's the heavy-handed response. The British responded with a whole series of laws, uh, which they called the Coercive Acts. The colonists called the Intolerable Acts, because they said no English person would tolerate living under a government which is so cruel, so tyrannical, and corrupt. And again, it's the Boston Tea Party that really just accelerates the movement to the American Revolution. This is simply too much for many of the colonists. And again, it's within less than two years where they have Lexington and Concord, or less than a year, excuse me. So what made Sam Adams such a prominent political figure in the Boston area? Well, again, to, to kind of go back to where we were before with your your musks, your teals, he is a man of influence, right? He is a, a wealthy individual, a man that people kind of look up to. And so if Sam Adams is willing to put his reputation, his business, his life on the line for this cause, that's a very powerful message. That resonates with the people, the other people who might have been on the fence and saying, I got a dog in this fight. You know what? I don't care if I'm getting taxed. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. If Sam Adams is involved, then that's, that's good enough for me. This is an idea when sort of a, an error, when an endorsement uh, still kind of married, married, mattered and carried a lot of weight. But is it true to say, Dr. Bolt, that the majority of revolutions – in world history, have been from the bottom up. I mean, here come the pitchforks, the peasants oh, yeah. have had enough. The American Revolution was led by, I guess, the aristocratics and well-to-dos in society. I mean, I, I guess they, they were representing the interests of the common man and yes, woman well. who were living under yeah. British rule. But in essence, I mean, the powerless had no opportunity to buck the British Empire. <laughs> it was the Sam Adams, Thomas Jefferson, you yeah. know, of the world. It, it, it's a revolution of ideas, and I think that's what sort of allowed it to kind of trickle down 
uh, to the people, right? The, the right to be free, right? To be able to do what you want, to have your religious freedom, uh, to have representation. Again, these were new at that time, radical ideas, ideas which we take for granted at this time. But again, the people, they, they responded to these ideas and were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice uh, for this. And they realized that if this Republican experiment, if it failed here, there was no chance that it was going to succeed in other parts of the world. So everything was on the line. And they responded, and they got, and thank God they did. Last question. How important was Boston in the early days of the American Revolution? Boston was the major port city until the, the 1820s when New York City finally surpassed it. So, again, it had become a, a cosmopolitan area. Uh, and, again, your urban areas, Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Charleston, again, these were the areas where, where people came together and where they discussed ideas. And as you alluded to earlier, ideas can be dangerous. Right, and so these ideas about freedom, liberty, democracy, they were discussed in the bars, the coffee houses, the saloons, the taverns, even from the pulpit. Right? And so there was just this, this ether out there that no matter where you went, people were talking about this. It was just everywhere that you went. You couldn't get away from it. And again, it galvanized. It inspired the people. And they realized there was a lot on the line. And again, there was in Boston, which, again, you had so many protests, the British kept sending troops there to try and intimidate them and overawe them, quell them. And everybody realized, well, if they can do this to Boston, uh, then what's to stop them from doing it from Charleston, Savannah, New York, anywhere else? So Massachusetts, New York, and Virginia kind were of the, the most the prominent big three colonies? At that time, yeah. As those colonies went, the rest of the colonies went as well. Right? There's no accident that you have. It's a, a Virginian, right, Patrick Henry, who famously says, the ideas of New York, Virginia, Massachusetts mean nothing to me. I am an American. So, yes, very well, very good way to conclude. See, we got seriousness in our bones. We're not completely and totally sold out to conspiracy theories, although it's better for business than the lecturing model of, uh, of American history. Thank you, Dr. Bolt. Hey, have a good holiday. Yeah, Merry, it, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and a, uh, and a happy new year. Be safe. We'll, we'll take guys. a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Welcome back. We're talking a little bit about um, a lot of different things this morning, talking conspiracy theories. You enjoy that conversation. Oh, I do. Josh really enjoys uh, that conversation. What conspiracy theories are believable? What conspiracy theories are not um, so believable? Here would be a better question, and maybe we can do this tomorrow. What started out as a conspiracy theory but is now accepted fact? I mean, what, what amongst all the political innuendos and rumor milling and, you know, I mean, I, I'll level with you. As a young person, I mean, I took people at their word, government in particular. I mean, if the government said it, then I kind of accepted it is real. The government said, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald killed JFK and he acted alone. Uh, who am I to challenge that? To begin with, I didn't have much interest in it. So what? You know, the president got killed. Um, I was kind of a Kennedy babe. I was born in December 63. Kennedy got killed in November of 63. My mom has told me after the fact, obviously had a big impact and profound, uh, you know, we didn't have the decentralized media. We had three networks and it was big news and she's eight months pregnant with her first, her first kid. So obviously it'd be very memorable in her existence. Mm -hmm. But, but if you polled Americans today and said, do you believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone or not? I think 70% would say they did. He did not act alone. There, there was some sort of conspiracy here. Is it the mafia? Is it the government? Was there a cover-up? I, I don't have any idea, but 70% of Americans would say, no way that guy did it by himself. I'm not buying that today. And I think that is 
a circumstance of the government becoming less trustworthy. I mean, it's just, it's the nature of, of the beast, so to speak. Bird Odom's a good friend of ours. And Bird has, um, has supported us at about every turn. Um, we're not in the business to meddle in elections. We are in the business to give a forum an opportunity for people who are running for office um, to tell voters and listeners why they believe uh, they're the choice uh, or should be the choice of the voters. Uh, we're having a special election. I thought it when, when you text me yesterday and said, the guy running for sheriff in Dillon County is coming on the show tomorrow to talk about his campaign. And I said, well, I mean, why are we doing that the week before Christmas? But someone died in office and um, necessitated a special election that is going on as we speak. I mean, the election in Dillon County, a special election for sheriff is today. And Republican Garrett Byrd, who Verd called earlier and advocated on behalf of, has taken the time to join us in our studio. Um, Republican Garrett Byrd, good morning. How are you, sir? Thank you, sir. Good morning. Um, you, you're running for sheriff, but you've got an extensive um, history in, in law enforcement, highway patrol in particular. Yes, sir. Okay. 26-year uh, veteran of the highway patrol, stationed here in Troop 5. Um, worked under a lot of great leaders. I retired in March and pursued this at the death of the sheriff Purnell in August. I don't know a single law enforcement person that has ever run for office that embraces being a politician. You're right. But, but yes, the reality sir. is you're asking people to vote for you. Exactly. And that's no different than a president or a governor or a county council member. Uh, the only way you become sheriff in Dillon County is enough people vote for you. Why should people vote for Garrett Byrd? Dillon's leading the state in every crime aspect. Our murder rate alone is up 12%. We lead the state in murder, violent property crime, aggressive, aggravated assaults, overdoses in fentanyl and cocaine, and the total drug overdoses in general. And it's only gone up. And something's got to change. And as history busts as you are, you know, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. There are certain places that being a Republican is advantageous. Historically, Dillon County's not been one of those places, but there is something happening in some of these places. More people are embracing Republican philosophies. Why are you a Republican? Well, Dillon voted 15.5% last time Republican overall, and it's changing. People are, are tired of the same old, same old, and I don't believe in the Democrat platform. That's a personal belief. I can't run on there. So when I decided to run as a Republican, we embraced it. We know what we stand for, and we we took off and ran with it. Mr. Bird, you talked about some of the problems in Dillon County. What what if you're elected sheriff? How how are you going to address some of those problems? What are some ideas you have about improving law enforcement in Dillon County? Simple boots on the ground. Um, I came up under Sheriff Joey. TJ was a road trooper when I met him, and then he went up through the ranks. Some of the same philosophy, boots on the ground. You, ha you have to get out, talk to public, be seen, be heard. Um, we want a gang and task force dedicated to drug operations to work I-95. And that's the major corridor on the East Coast. 20,000 cars a day go past any given point. And the, and the dope and money is, is funneling through here like a river. And there's nothing out there to deter it. You, you've got the support of a lot of community leaders. I mean, I, I looked this morning when they gave me this. I mean, there are a lot of people who speak highly of you, um, you're one of them. I mean, that, when I read this, that's, that's what I interpret. I mean, you're kind of running as, as one of them. I had success running as one of them yes, years sir. and years and years ago. Um, I mean, what pledge do you make 
to the people who signed up to be a supporter of yours? If I can, my number one job is to save the citizens of Dillon County. And if I can't do that job, then I need to resign. You know, I'm doing this because I want to do it and I want to make a difference. Um, we have to have somebody that can say no, that can stand up with a new set of eyes to address these problems from outside the circle. One of the political issues you'll deal with, and, and you know this by now, is dealing with county council. Yes. Um, well, once again, <laughs> the county council kind of embraced being politics, the sheriff not so much. Um, what sort of relationship do you have, do you aspire to have, with, with your governmental leaders in Dillon County? Well, I would hope to be a good one. We Dillon elected their first Republican county council member last term, Dennis Townsend, from the Lakeview area. And Dennis and I have kind of, we have joined, so to speak, in this effort. A lot of county council members that I've known forever because I've been there so long. Good friends of mine. And I think that we can come to, if we can come together and rally behind this point, because after all, everyone's affected. You know, crime doesn't, doesn't differentiate them on who it affects. You know, one out of every 10 people in Dillon County is subject to be a victim of violent crime. And with a population of 26,000, 27,000 people, you can narrow it down. As to who's going to be next. Last question. A Republican Garrett Bird running for Dillon County Sheriff is in our, in our studio today, um, we sense during the Christmas period that our listenership may be down. Our participation mm-hmm. may, may decrease. People are doing their, you know, their, their abnormal things. They're, they're Christmas shopping. They're traveling. You got to convince people it's worth their time to go cast a ballot the Tuesday before Christmas. It is an odd time, but, but the death of the sheriff led us down this road. Um, I, I guess I'm giving an opportunity to over the airwaves, Tell the voters in Dillon County you need their help today. Exactly. You know, as you know, being in state government, all that is by statute as to when elections happen. And I had a very aggressive campaign manager that we've put the word out. We've talked to folks. We've got a lot of positive feedback. Dillon needs to change. And the only way we're going to change is if the people go today and vote Garrett Bird for sheriff. That's the only way it's going to change. Because if it don't, we're going to be in the same boat we've been in for, for the last 40 years. And that's today. And that the election is, today. is yes. going on as we speak. That's right. We had early voting last two weeks, and today's the general. Okay. We yes, wish sir. you well. Thank you so much. I've been a long time listening to your show, and I okay. appreciate your opportunity. Thank you very much. We appreciate yeah. your willingness to uh, put your name on a ballot. A lot of people talk about it. Very few follow through and actually do it. Thank you very much, and you got your, your family out there with you. Yes, sir. Thank yeah. you so much. Uh, I, we'll pray for them more than we'll, we'll pray for you because they'll <laughs> – they'll deal with it in a very unique way than, than the candidate. I've always believed when you're the candidate and your name's on the ballot, there's a certain control you have of it. The family's kind of along for the ride. Exactly. And sometimes it's a bumpy ride, right, it, sir? This has been a a, a new road uncharted for me, for sure. <laughs> yes, sir. Good deal. Well, congratulations and good luck. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. And um, I, mean, you, you, I mean, he can leave here and we can go to the – we got a call? Okay, do we have a um, – yep. yeah, live radio. Yep. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Good luck to you. Um, we'll, um, yep. we have a call. Let's yeah, we have the phone. Okay. Jim and Florence. Hi, Jim. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. So uh, as we talk about conspiracy, I want to talk about a very localized conspiracy that I have that, um, that in 2010, uh, during the midst of Obama's first term, and as it was really going south, Mitt Romney didn't, obviously didn't do well, kind of threw the whole thing, makes you wonder, but. In the final stages of South Carolina switching from Democrat to Republican, um, 
the uttermost outsider who received 45,000 more votes during the same statewide election cycle as the neocon chosen one to take on Donald Trump in 2024 and perpetuate these never-ending wars was taken down by South Carolina's own cathedral with a call of politicians, law enforcement, uh, media, and judges for doing the same thing just about every other politician in the state probably has done for decades. And this South Carolina cathedral probably saw something no one else did, that a real populist in America first movement was afoot with this outsider, and it had to be stopped. So if we go back to that 2020, uh, 2010 statewide election cycle, Ken, you were more popular than Nikki Haley. I beat Nikki. I beat Nikki by bigger margin than Nikki beat Benson. Right, and you probably still are more popular than Nikki. But uh, inside that state house, I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure I was. I think well, I, I with the rank and file voter, I probably was. You're right. Well, well, I'll say this: with the people that matter, I think you're more popular, Ken. But uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. I mean, Rev gets me down this road from time to time. <laughs> I try not to look back. I mean, I, I believe in the old analogy: you can't trial, you can't plow a straight road looking behind you. But, but of course, I mean, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, I mean, you know the friendship I had with Robert Cahaley, and Robert and I endured um, some pretty complicated and difficult times together. And I've said this, and I'll say it again: I had a chance to roll on Robert. I mean, I don't know how public that needs to be, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know. But it is what it is. I had a chance to roll on Robert. And Robert was a kind of a, a young and upcoming consultant, and Robert was making a name for himself. And I hadn't earned my right to be there. I mean, I was not pedigreed. I was not uh, esteemed. I was not, I mean, I didn't have many checks in many boxes, except I knew I could relate to voters. So, yes, Jim, I mean, I'll accept. I embrace that. I mean, I, I do believe that, that, that my 2010 election was ahead of its time in a weird kind of way. Uh, the one thing I am very proud of, I mean, I didn't roll on Robert, and I could have, but I didn't. Um, the one thing, because Robert didn't do anything. I did everything. Um, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, I ran my campaign like you run a small business. I juggled a lot of things, and I ran it out of the, the front seat of a pickup truck. The embarrassment should be on those I beat, you know, in the in the Republican primary and then again in the uh, in the general election. But, but I realized very quickly when I got to Columbia that the biggest strength I had running for office was the biggest weakness I had once I became an office holder. I was an outsider. And, and, and the one pledge I made to myself, and it was kind of a tribute to my dad, I'm not letting anybody tell me what to do. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not selling out. I'm not giving in. I mean, if it costs me, it costs me. If I end up being a one-termer, I end up being a half of a termer. Um, but, but no, I had, I had opportunities to play ball and things would have, um, come out differently. And I just never, I never considered, I never contemplated. Um, and it is what it is to do. I regret not seeing a political career take a normal course. Yes, of course I do. Um, I mean, I would have loved to have been governor of South Carolina and I think I would have been governor of South Carolina in due time. Um, Maybe, you know, and we could argue conspiracy theories about who was behind this. I mean, I don't want to incriminate anybody, but 
there were people who had chances in our party to help me, and they chose not to. I mean, I'll say that again. The Democrats get the blame for a lot of things, but there were multiple forces within the party that I was the, I guess, second-ranking office holder in South Carolina that had chances to help me, and they chose not to. Uh, so, so once again, I've kind of landed on the the idea that I ran as an outsider, I got elected as an outsider, and I served as an outsider, and I've got no regret with that. I mean, if I had to turn myself into an insider to stay lieutenant governor and eventually become governor or, or remain true to myself and the people that I really and truly give a rat's ass what they think about me, I, I'm very comfortable with the decision that I made. Um, you know, Rev's asked me more than one time. I mean, you know, people ask me this occasionally. It doesn't bother you, man, the way things could have turned out. I'm not asking about, I mean, you're my friend, and that's cool. I mean, I, I don't care if they run you off a hundred times. You're my buddy, and we're good. But but it doesn't, you don't play out the what if. I said, of course I do. I mean, absolutely I play out the what if, because I'm arrogant enough to believe I could have been a good governor. I mean, I really and truly believe, and I can tell you what I would have been. I would have been South Carolina first. I mean, it would have been, you know, the South Carolina working men and women. That would have been my priority. I don't, I don't make any apologies for that. And maybe that's, you know, where I come from, maybe being from rural South Carolina. My, my dad working, a, you know, starting a business, working multiple jobs to get to a place of being a better provider. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of things in that, in that brew of why I believe what I believe. But I don't have any regret whatsoever about staying true to what I believe in and more than that, the people that were so good to me. I mean, that, that, that's something that I can wake up every day and say, hey, you had a chance to keep your job but not be true to yourself and the people that got you where you are. Or you can come home and look all those people in the eyes and say, I don't have any regret for, for, for you know, the, 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 the bond that we created. And, and I'll say this, guys, um, God opens doors. I mean, I'm not a spiritual superhero. I mean, I let a few dugout words fly every now and then. And I mean, I'm a deeply flawed man. Um, but, but I believe that God has a plan. And I believe that once one thing doesn't work out, if you're willing to try and not, not crawl in a hole and cry and have a pity party, I think God opens other doors. And, and I, and I've told Rev this, I mean, I had some influence on county council, had a little bit of influence in the Senate by putting bills in certain committees or not. But, but I, you know, w- we can move the meter on this radio show together. I can't do it. We together can make changes. We can, we can create priorities. We can do certain things that maybe people in power don't want to have done. So, um, yeah, Jim, that's very complimentary. And, uh, and Jim and I don't always agree. You, you know that. I mean, we've had a thousand conversations about things we agree on and things we don't agree on. I'm a populist at heart. 2010 was not a time to be a populist. I knew it was coming. I mean, there, there, I've told you that. And Kahali and I talked a lot about this. Robert would give me data that said, hey, talk about this. Talk about, I said, Robert, I'm, my gut says something else. But what do you mean? I said, my instinct says something other than what you're telling me the voters are sensitive to and intense about. And, and Robert and I have had a lot, and, and, I, and I'll share this, and then I'll shut up, and we'll take a break, Josh. I go to Robert for data. I go to Robert for strategy. Robert calls me when the data says something and he needs confirmed by some instinct. I mean, Robert will call me and said, hey, man, I polled 
South Carolina Republican primary voters about this. And here's what the poll says. But you got a pretty good instinct. You talk to a lot of people who feel a lot of different ways. What does your gut tell you? And I'll tell Robert, I think your poll's right. Or I'll tell Robert, I think your poll's overestimating one thing or underestimating um, something else. But, but, but once again, do I regret what happened? Yes, absolutely I do. And I take full responsibility. I chose to do it a way that you simply can't do it. And it cost me a job. It cost me a potential political career. But I'm good. I'm good. Somebody, I think the Post and Courier called it a political tragedy. Tragedy is an 18-year-old getting diagnosed with cancer, a 7-year-old dying in a car wreck. I had a mishap. <laughs> it's certainly not not tragedy. Take a break. Back in a few. You're good to go. No, I mean, the one brain between. I don't know, Josh. We're, we're too dumb. So oh, yeah. We, we don't know any better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair point. <laughs> so, so I guess the show's yours there, Mr. Brain. When Josh knows one Josh? of these real insulting liners is uh-huh. coming, he starts laughing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got control of the board, so yeah. he knows one of these really insulting liners. In other words, here's Dumb and Dumber. Um, <laughs> you can listen if you'd like, you know, and he starts laughing. And I'm looking at him, and he starts. So I know that he's laughing because it's going to be a really insulting, right. You know, liner coming up. He's really proud of himself. He wrote that by himself and had it voiced by the voice so, guy. So here's what Josh does. I mean, the arrogance of young people, Rev. Here's what Josh <laughs> does. You ready? Josh kind of laughs under his breath and looks at me like, "Yeah, you'll like this one." And then he points and says, "Speak, dog, speak." See you know? <laughs> spot, run. You know, Good and, boy. And I'm like, so, so when he points at me, and I'm going like. And he goes, no, it's your time. I, I was like, no, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm dumb, remember? I, I'm too dumb to know. One, one I'm, brain I'm too in dumb this room. To know what, what those hand gestures, what those hand gestures mean. Um, well, you kind of shot yourself in the foot just now because that implies that you have half a brain. So. Okay. What did Limbaugh famously say? I'm giving you say? more credit well, than I mean, you're giving I, yourself. And, and yeah. I accept it. I mean, I've never professed to be a rocket yeah, scientist. Limbaugh said, half my brain tied behind my back. Just to make it fair, yeah. just to make it competitive. Or, or, or whatever. Um, that I mean, I, I think those are funny. I mean, I, I think self-deprecating humor is a part of the human experience, and I think the more we laugh at ourselves and the less we take ourselves. I mean, obviously, there's a moment in all of our lives we should take ourselves very, very serious. There are moments to reflect and moments to think and moments to pray and moments to, to laugh and moments to cry. But, but I've accepted this as entertainment. Uh, I told Rev this morning, um, the guys that come on before we do, I mean, they're informed. They're obviously educated. They've got a nationally syndicated overnight radio show, but I don't know that they get the entertainment part of this. <laughs> it, it, it's like they're trying to lecture to people and they're serious about every single issue. And I, I just believe that people have enough to be serious about. They'd rather be entertained. And I think there's a way to integrate and entangle and entwine or intertwine entertainment with with, uh, with politics, I, I pledged to get to a story, but I want to read a little more about it. I mean, this um, there's a there's a Supreme Court decision pending that I think will affect very tremendously, and it's a January 6th defendant. And the circuit court has made a ruling. The appellate court has made an opposite ruling, and the Supreme Court agreed to take the case, and it could play into some of Jack Smith and Donald Trump's disagreement on election interference and some of the other some of the other charges. I'll try to dig into that a good bit tonight, this afternoon, and come back and and really cover that as you, our listeners, 
deserve to have it covered. Will you, uh, I guess, determine whether it's good news or bad news for Trump? Well, there's no way it's bad news. For the court to agree, for the Supreme Court to agree to consider hearing the case is good news for Trump. And it could, best case scenario for Trump, it throws out half the charges. Some of the election interference charge, because they're basically saying, I mean, I don't know what they're saying. I'm not in their chamber, believe it or not. I mean, I have no idea what they talk about uh, behind closed doors, but it's it's led me to believe that they're giving more serious consideration to Trump's arguments about Jack Smith cooking up all these charges and an overcharging and, you know, zealous judges and an aggressive prosecution and a timeline that is not legally motivated, but rather in the, uh, in the political realm. Let's go to the phone. Ashley Poston's corner. Good morning, Ashley. Uh, good morning, fellas. And uh, happy belated birthday, Ken. I, I, I got some on Facebook for you, but, uh, um, congratulations on being 63. Hey, you're getting up there in the two. No, 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 no. I, I, 60, born in 63, 60. Yeah, but that, that's, that's one hits home to me. You're right. It's better than the alternative though. There you go. Absolutely. There you go. Uh, it's a local issue. I was kind of talking about. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Just lost the call. Yeah, just lost the call. You know, the old call in a radio show that the phones work sometimes, and sometimes they don't. I think Josh had another call that we yeah, lost. We as had well. several on hold earlier. Yeah, the old, the old call in a radio show with the phones sometimes work, and sometimes they don't. Um, I would give the number, but there's no reason to give the number to the call in a radio show with the phones. Oh, we had that kind of resolved a few yeah. weeks ago. As we say, the country gets thought like Nelly. <laughs> what? He said, you thought we had it resolved. Yeah. And I said, you thought like Nelly. <laughs> Folks from the country know exactly what I'm talking about when I, when, when I say that. But um, anyway, sorry, Ashley. And thank you for the, uh, for the birthday well wishes. And he was going to talk about a local issue. I think I know what he's going to talk about. I've had some folk back home uh, reach out to me about an issue they're dealing with. Um, I, I'm not in government anymore, but they think I can raise awareness about oh, yeah. about a particular issue, and I don't know that. I don't know that that's what Ashley wanted to talk about, but said it's a local issue. I know exactly where Post's Corner is, and it's in close proximity to a an endeavor, uh, an endeavor that involves some out of town uh, businesses. People are trying to call, but we can't get through. Um, we're Josh and I are looking at one another. Josh, I'll tell you what. Let's do for the next twenty minutes. Let's just insult one another. I mean, let, let, let's play the most insulting liner, and then I'll insult you back, and then we play another insulting liner, and I and I, I'll, in, hey, that, I'll insult that'll be you the, back. It'll be the entertainment portion well, of the show. Right. That it'll you be entertaining. About. You won't mean it. I don't think. I don't mean it. I mean, I know I don't mean <laughs> it when I insult Josh. But we did get fair warning from Mama. There are certain nicknames in bounds, certain nicknames out of bounds. I'm not bothered. By, by insulting Josh. I'm not bothered if Josh has a problem. I don't want Mama to have a problem at all. So we're going to obey Mama's request by certain nicknames that, that, that I pinned on Josh <laughs> to be acceptable and, and some others that, that are not so um, acceptable. 843. Uh, maybe we've got the phones back up and running. 843-661-0937 is our number. Do we have a call? As soon as Josh puts it on hold, we will. Okay. Yeah, this is live radio at its best, isn't it? Yep. This is a call-in radio show where the phones sometimes work and sometimes they don't. And I don't think they're working on me, Josh. 
that line? Uh, he wanted to make sure our phone was working. He just didn't want to go on the air. Oh, oh okay. So, okay. Well, so the phone's Concerned citizen, it, it seems like it's working. <laughs> now, okay, they're working now. They should be. Okay, they're working now. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, maybe we could do a segment of Give Josh a Nickname. But then we'd have to uh, classify it as Give Josh a Nickname, and we'll run it by Mom. <laughs> and see, Mom says, okay, to the nickname or not. I'll tell you this. Moms are going to be protective. Uh, I got two sons, and Mom has a relationship, and I'm talking about my wife. She has a relationship very different than mine. My and my boy's relationship is based on the real world, and things are as they are. Mom and her boy's relationship is based on fantasy land. Now, Mom will also accuse me of having a relationship with my daughter that is not based in reality, but rather fantasy land. And I guess there is something to the the mom and son, daughter and daddy relationship. I mean, Rev doesn't have a daughter, so we can't relate to that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something a a mom treats her boys with more patience than she treats her girl. The father treats, Josh is nodding his head, the father treats his daughter in a irrational and emotional way, but is able to kind of um, deal with his sons in, in kind of the real world. You know, hey, here's the way the world works. Uh, and when a, when a dad tells his daughter, well, I mean, here's the way the real works, but I'll fix that. You know, don't you worry about the real world. I'll handle that. Um, and you send your sons off into the real world. Let them figure it out. You send your daughter off in the real world, and then whatever doesn't uh, fit her, you kind of figure out a way to to change, adjust, and uh, and calibrate. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll take a break. Hopefully, we'll get some um, phone calls here. We'll be back in a few moments. You know, I was um, kind of just going through Twitter during the break to find out if there's any breaking news. I mean, Twitter is kind of the breaking news organization in America today. There's not a lot of breaking news, but there is something – very interesting. Donald Trump put on Truth Social. Um, I'll quote, has any smart and energetic Republican of the great state of Texas decided to run the primary against rhino congressman Chip Roy? For the right person, he is very beatable. If interested, let me know. That's just, it's, it, it's senseless. I mean, if it's not about, that's where Trump becomes his own worst enemy. The, the He didn't get personal loyalty, and he feels he's owed personal loyalty. So instead of letting it be, he's going to try and find out if there's anybody out there interested in running against Chip Roy. I just think presidents need to be – and then look, I, I am – you guys have heard me. I mean, I, you know, the behavior of a president, who decides that? I mean, the president does. I mean, it, to me, it's a little odd for the sitting president to fall down airplane steps and sandbags and not – put coherent govern, uh, sentences together and, and call Pete Buttigieg, you know, booty juice. And the last guy you need to be calling booty juice is Buttigieg for obvious <laughs> reasons and public publicly stated and emphatic reasons. But I just think Trump, I mean, that becomes personal. And to me, it can be interpreted as petty. And if, you, if you're on the fence, in other words, if you are nearly called his name, if you're a buddy of mine and they've about won – Trump over for you. Trump's done nothing to win you over, but they're kind of forcing you in that on that Trump team. I've got many friends who say 
You know, two years ago, I promised, made a pledge. I'll never vote for Trump. They've convinced me now it's my only choice. I got to do it. I don't want to do it. But but that's the guy that I'm going to vote for. I mean, that's happening a lot in America today. The very people responsible for trying to destroy Trump are the very people keeping him alive and vibrant and probably more popular than he's ever been. I mean, we'll find out as the year progresses or as next year progresses. But But if I could give Trump one piece of advice, let those incidental matters go by the wayside. I mean, Chip Roy, I think, endorsed Ron DeSantis, and he didn't demonstrate the unequivocal loyalty that you think you deserve, and now you're going to try and drum up a um, a primary opponent in a district in Texas. And I just don't understand that. I mean, I, I, I understand it. I just think it's needless and senseless and makes the chances of him being president again less likely. And I'd like Trump to focus on things that make it more likely that he gets elected president than less likely that he gets elected president. That's almost like the only categories we need for the next year. Hey, Trump, here are the things that make it more likely you win the presidency. Here are the things that make it less likely that you win the president. Let's let's really focus on these things that make (laughs) it more likely that you win the presidency. And I think being personal and being petty make it less likely that Trump wins uh, the presidency. I understand you feel Chip Roy did you wrong. Okay, a lot of people do you wrong. You do a lot of people wrong. I mean, that that's the way the world works. People have interpretations and opinions about interactions and friendships and transactions and loyalty is in the abstract to some degree for some. Um, but but just I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I mean, it's almost like he wakes up and he goes, I don't have anything to do right now. And I need 24-7 stimuli. You know, let's do something. Oh, yeah, that Chip Roy guy. Let's find somebody to run against him. Roy's got voters, and you need those voters. I understand it's red state Texas, and you probably get away with it there more than you can in, in, in some of the swing states. I mean, but I mean, if, if, if Trump believes somebody was disloyal to him in a swing district in Wisconsin, he'd do the same thing. And once again, line on a billboard on one side, this makes Trump more likely to win this, I mean, you're, you're kind of nodding. You agree with that. Yeah. And you give him more deference than I do. True. And I think if nothing else, it's, it's a waste of time and a distraction. I mean, he's, he is fighting all these court cases, these legal battles, which is taking his attention away from campaigning and for himself. And he's interjecting this for an, I have no idea why, because he needs to be focusing on his campaign, his ideas, the things that make him more likely, more likely. Let's concentrate on those two words. Yeah, I agree. More likely. I have a burning desire for Donald Trump to be president again. Let's do things that make it more likely he wins the presidency than less likely. And I understand the Trump loyalist saying to themselves, well, I mean, Roy did him wrong. Okay, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't have any idea what Roy feels like he owes Trump or Trump feels like Roy owes him. But I do know this, these squabbles, these, these dust-ups make it less likely not more likely that Republicans vote for Donald Trump instead of someone else. And I just tend to believe that he's better off focusing on what makes it more likely that he wins uh, instead of less I mean, likely if he that would he have, wins. If he would have put a, a, a truth social post out there that was policy-related of something he'd like to do in his next term as president, that would be much better use of that time and energy than something like that. I and, agree. And, and I think he's done well. I mean, in all honesty, in in the grand scheme of things, I think he's done much better. And you can't stop him from being him. 
I mean, they're, they're, you can go too far to the other way. In all honesty, if he were to hire some seasoned consultant or marketing firm, they'd probably turn him into something closer to a traditional uh, politico. And he's not that. We don't need to turn him into it. We need the irreverence. We, we need the, um, the, the persona, the bombast. I mean, even the narcissism in the weirdest way is, is a bit appealing. I mean, it really and truly is. Uh, you kind of take him for what he is. And um, I, I just think doing things like this are unnecessary and a bit distracting. And let's, let's, let's beat the Democrats. I mean, you know, it, it appears to me, and Kaylee's not willing to say inevitable. I am. I mean, it, it appears to me, and Sununu and Nikki Haley are all over New Hampshire about, but they're not all over America. I mean, they're trying to catch lightning in a bottle. What Nikki Haley is trying to do, guys and girls, is basically lose in Iowa, put all of her eggs in New Hampshire's basket, and hope that feeds into Nevada and South Carolina. No way. No way. There, there's no conceivable way. Now, maybe Nikki's strategy long-term is to say, I fought the good fight. I mean, I carried the flag of the establishment and elites as far and long as I could. Nobody could have stood against Trump as long as I did, as hard as I did. What board will you put me on now? Uh, what multiple boards can I be a part of now? It's kind of interesting to me. We talked yesterday about the kids that graduate from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Brown, the Ivy League plus schools, they go from there straight to a government agency, the State Department, the DOJ, uh, the FBI, the CIA. They're, they're never, it's not like, hey, let's take the scenic route and go through Peoria, Illinois, and find out what some of those regular folk are thinking. No, they leave the prestigious universities, go straight to the State Department, straight to CNN. It's almost like if the State Department and CNN were doing the job that they really and truly should be responsible for, They'd say, hey, before you show up at our doorsteps, <coughs> excuse me, how about living a week or living a year in Iowa and then go to South Carolina and live for a year and then go to Wyoming and live for a year and then go to California. I mean, spend some time in San Francisco. But but we, we need diversity in some of these places, and we just woefully, woefully lack um, that. And, and you know, that, that's why they don't understand this phenomenon. Well, and they've been pretty much probably taught in some of these Ivy League institutions that uh, we're deplorable. They wouldn't want to be around us. We're disgusting. And and Bill Ackman, I mean, the last thing that I think America Firsters should be concerned with is a hedge fund guy getting pissy with Wall or with uh, with Ivy League. <laughs> you know, when Wall Street and Ivy League are a bit, my word, you ready? Pissy at one another. I don't know that the America Firster. It kind of laughs a little bit like, okay, hedge fund guy's mad at Ivy League. Ivy League's mad at hedge fund guy. Who cares? I mean, let those guys figure that it's out. It's been a little entertaining. Yeah. Um, the endowment that's got $20 billion, what, what, what? maybe he's going to withdraw a billion from the endowment. I don't know if you saw this or not, but J.D. Vance, we found a tax that liberal Democrats don't like. J.D. Vance offered a proposal to tax the endowments of these prestigious universities. I mean, they're in the billions. I mean, collectively, they're north of $100 billion in endowments, and they're taxed at about one and a quarter percent. And J.D. Vance said, let's tax that as 30, like a marginal tax rate, you know, an effective income rate, uh, 35%. And all the Democrats, I mean, they love taxes, right? I mean, they want to raise the taxes on the wealthy, <laughs> except when the wealthy's on their team. 
so so Harvard would be wealthy. I mean, the the the, the billions of dollars in endowment funds they have didn't come from the working class. Isn't it funny how that yeah, works? Yeah, but but let's not tax that. We want to tax the wealthy, just not those wealthy, because <laughs> they're on our team. Of course. Yeah. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.